Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. One example after another example after another example of Donald Trump promoting violent acts. Do you see a connection between pr- words that come from the president's mouth and the attacks of this weekend? Do you think he needs to apologize? This is going to be something that he is going to have to answer for. If you're a white supremacist, you find the president's words uh, possibly inspirational, possibly uh, comforting. The question is, does the president have any acknowledgement of the role his rhetoric as the president of the United States uh, might play? Many people are actually pointing toward the president's own past words, specifically at some of his rallies. It takes a great uh, deal of denial to try to pretend that what happened in El Paso wasn't connected directly to the hate speech of Donald J. Trump. Do you tie any of the president's rhetoric to these tragedies? How will he respond to those claims that he is to blame for what happened in El Paso? This speech, in some ways, is sort of a diversionary tactic for this president. He didn't acknowledge his own role in fanning the flames. As a supporter of the president, when you see the language that he uses... And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 9th of August, year of our Lord, 2019. And I'm a couple days late, but as you can tell by our intro, the media is still playing the same old song and dance. I mean, it doesn't really change. It is the same old thing. Trump to blame for everything. Guns are bad. And we'll hit that in our second part. Pretty much just guns today, hate tweets, and we're going to do uh, news and social media nuggets up front. Just to kind of kind of be positive, want to give shout-outs to Sean in Oregon. Got a couple stories he donated to the cause today. And once again, apologize for being, uh, I guess, two days late. I just had a lot of projects I'm working on, trying to finish the stuff around the house. Helping my son, uh, Zach in Tennessee... Uh, with his back surgery stuff, and then uh, I'm going to go back to work. So podcasting will be a little different. I'm kind of ridden this uh, break, in quotes, to the point where I can't do it anymore. So I'm going to get back in the workforce and, you know, do something. Maybe be a greeter. A greeter at Walmart. That'll be fun. But Anyway, um, I, I flipped the script today just because it's so goddamn depressing and angry. Uh, some of the stuff we're going to play is just downright evil, and we will prove once again that the Dayton shooter was a liberal, and the other shooter was a liberal too. Um, but we're saying it's because of immigration. That's that's their standing point right now. So I uh, will have my opinion when we get to it. But let's do news and social media nuggets. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Starting our military corner with some somber stuff. I do not call it a tragedy, I call it glory. A paratrooper killed in Afghanistan left behind a powerful message a year before his death. 
PFC Brandon J. Kreischer's life was the day he enlisted, I'm sorry, the happiest day of Kreischer's life was the day he enlisted in the Army. Before his graduation from Bryan High School in 2018, Kreischer, and I hope I'm saying it right, 20-year-old soldier who was killing a parent insider attack in Afghanistan in July, laid out his sense of duty to country in his senior yearbook quote in response to a question, who am I? Throughout my life, I've had one huge goal. The one was to enlist in the Army as an infantryman. And I achieved that goal on April 25th, 2017. I was without a doubt the proudest day of my life. I'm very proud to be an American. I believe that whatever cause America believes in, I have an obligation to believe in because I'm a patriot. If I die in the combat zone for America, I do not call it a tragedy, he added. I call it glory. And the rest of the article goes on to explain how he died. But I was touched by that because in this modern era, as we talked before, very me-orientated youth with the I want everything free. And here's a young man that just wanted to serve no different than our forefathers. And that's pretty cool. Navy identifies incredible Super Horner pilot killed in Star Wars Canyon crash. The Navy pilot killed in a crash and injured seven bystanders in California's Death Valley National Park was Lieutenant Charles Z. Walker, Pentagon officials said. Walker, 33, was killed on Wednesday when his F-18 Super Hornet crashed into a canyon wall during low-altitude training about 40 miles north of China Lake. He was assigned to the vigilantes of Strike Fighter Squadron 151 based out of Naval Air Station Limor. Leaders said they're grieving the loss of their own. Tenor Walker was an incredible naval aviator, husband and son. Captain James Bates, Strike Fighter Wing Pacific Commander, said in a statement, he was an integral member of the vigilante family and his absence will keenly be felt on the flight line. The crash remains under investigation. Walker was commissioned in 2008 before he was a Navy Reserve Officer in the Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona, Florida. He was assigned to Strike Fighter Squadron 195 based in Iwakini, Japan in 2012. Following his Naval Aviation training, he joined VFA-151 in 2018 and had a Navy and Marine Corps Accommodation. The time of the crash, Walker and another pilot were conducting routine training in Rainbow Canyon, a common training spot for military aviators dubbed Star Wars Canyon, due to its likeness to one of the desert planets in the movie. It's a popular site for aviation enthusiasts to gather to catch sight of low-flying maneuver military pilots practicing during training flights. Witnesses told the Associated Press they were taking photos when Walker Super Hornet came into view and suddenly slammed into the canyon wall. The impact sent debris flying and seven French tourists were injured, including one with burns requiring treatment. The other pilot returned to base on Wednesday and the Navy began search and rescue op- uh, efforts to find him. On Thursday, service officials announced that it had been determined the lieutenant was killed in the crash. Pretty, pretty horrible. You know what else is horrible? Navy SEALs and other secretive units are quietly batting, battling a frightening rise in parachute deaths. 11 special operators who have died between 2011 and 2016, a 16% increase over the previous five-year period, according to 13 years' worth of records of non-opening shoots 
and hey-ho and hey-lo. So, that's not good. Air Force to pause operations after spike in suicides. 78 airmen have taken their lives in 2019. 30 more than last year. But military suicides have reached their highest rate, said record-keeping. While suicides remain a rare event among U.S. troops, 325 active-duty members died by suicide in 2018. Who the fuck wrote this article, Military Times? Jesus, that's not... That's a lot. The highest number since the Defense Department began collecting data in 2001. Coroner report released this week by the Defense Suicide Prevention Office. 139 active-duty soldiers, 68 sailors, and 60 airmen... 58 Marines have committed suicide. I don't understand that. I just don't understand it. The Air Force, I totally don't understand that. You got to stop and do a day of suicide prevention. You motherfuckers have the best food, housing. Your budget's a joke. You spend your budget on whatever the fuck you want because you're still going to fly so you can go back and get more money. Got to fly. Gotta have airplanes to get the army guys around. I mean, seriously. But that this is not, this is not a major concern in America when 22 vets a day are killing themselves. Just shows how fucking off the ball we are. We will talk more about transgender bullshit and rights women supposedly aren't getting. And reparation pay. And how we need to give every illegal alien on the planet free everything. But when we won't address the terrible homelessness among vets or the suicides among vets, when we fought the longest fucking war ever. 18 years and the clock is still running, folks. It's fucking on it. It's just unacceptable. Three former Green Berets are also unacceptable. Cotton cash theft, they stole $90,000 from Jalalabad, which I've actually been there when it wasn't Camp Fenty. So, you know, been dogging seals, which, by the way, had an article that Navy SEAL chief, yo, we got a problem. Oh, really? You lost a whole platoon. Killed motherfuckers. It's been a bad, bad fucking year for the SEALs. Then we got the Marine Corps. Wants single device to control rifle accessories and radios. Riflemen may soon be able to control their thermal sights, aiming lights, and other high-tech weapon accessories with a single touchpad device. They're testing this. It's like a foregrip on their weapon. It'll cut, It'll just turn everything on. So, I'm sure it's Bluetooth, but... That's pretty cool. Then the Army ordered $40 million of its newest body armor. The Army recently ordered more than $40 million worth of its latest body armor vests, accessories from KDH Defense System Incorporated, a North Carolina-based firm. It's been a major player in service body armor. Service placed a $31.5 million delivery order for new modular scalable vest and a $9 million order for its new blast pelvic protector, according to a recent KDH news release. 
The Army unveiled the MSV in late 2016 as part of the Soldier Protection System, which consists of armor protection options for the head, torso, and other areas of the body. The weight, the MSV weighs about 7.4 pounds based on the size medium without ballistic plates. It comes in at about 22.6 pounds when equipped with front and side body armor plates, roughly 3.7 pounds weight savings over the old one. The blast pelvic protector is an optional accessory or the cod piece for those that are wearing uniform. I never wore that fucking shit because it just slaps you in the balls as you're walking. I don't need to be slapped in the balls. Really, I don't. Um, it's optional sets that provides ballistic protection for 9mm rounds and fragmentation to the groin. The BPP resembles a pair of loose-fitting shorts that are worn over the combat trousers. So this one's different. I was wrong. The old one was a codpiece. The SPS also includes the integrated head protection system to replace the enhanced combat helmet and close combat units and ballistic combat shirt, which features soft armor on the neck, shoulders, high chest, and high back to protect against 9mm round. The order for the MSV and the BBP, BPP are scheduled to be completed in 2020 according to the KDH release. So, good for them. That would be nice to be softer. I ain't telling you, that thing will break you the fuck down. It does get heavy, and those have been the show a long time. Um, you end up walking like you have it on after you no longer have it on. From wearing that motherfucker for <clears throat> eight months in theater, my wife remarked at how I was hunched all the time. And it took me a while to realize I wasn't. And also, just for anybody who's new to the show, I covered the military corner because I was in the military. And I think it's important. A lot of interesting stuff. Um, yeah, we don't strive for new stuff that's going to help everybody. Most of it's just killing motherfucker shit. But I still think it's pretty interesting. And um, it'll always be part of the show. As will our college crazy. Being that our lead was about guns and our back end of this podcast will be about guns. You know college is about guns. Berkeley Chancellor calls to remove weapons of war from our midst. First and foremost, since I have people from Berkeley listening to the show, hey, Wingnuts, the AR that I own that's right behind me, hanged with a magazine in but no bullet in the chamber or a high delivery weapon system thingy, whatever you guys want to call a magazine. <clears throat> It is not like the AR that I had in the Army. Let's get it straight. An M4 shoots three-round bursts, single round. That's what it does. The one I own here is just like a pistol, a shotgun, a .30-06. Whenever I pull the trigger, a bullet thingy comes out of the barrel thingy, and that's what kills people. So it's not a rapid weapon of war. Yeah, if I practice pulling my trigger trigger finger really, really fast, I'm sure it, to you it's a weapons of war, but that's not what it is. That's not what it is, and the bullet is not a hole the size of a fist. It is 5.56 rounds. It's very small compared to a 9mm, 45 Those are bigger rounds. 5.56, very small. It just moves really fast, and it goes through shit. Has a high velocity is the word we're looking for. But here we are with the weapons of war. Coined by who, boys and girls? Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah, he came up with that shit. In the wake of two mass shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, that took the lives of more than 30 people, University of California Chancellor Carol Crist sent a universally wide email demanding 
Politicians take concrete steps. Here is the email from this fucking moonbat. Dear friends and colleagues, today we join with people everywhere in mourning, anguish, and disbelief in the wake of two more horrific, senseless acts of violence in our country. Even as we continue to mourn the loss of life in Gilroy a few days ago, we must now open our hearts even further to support other condolences to the friends, family, and colleagues of El Paso and Dayton. At the same time, we cannot and must not turn a blind eye to emerging evidence suggesting that at least one of these despicable acts was motivated by hatred and loathing for immigrants. We cannot be satisfied with the words of sympathy and remorse from our political leaders. Now more than ever, we must demand concrete steps to remove weapons of war from our midst. Blada, blada, blada. I got all these things with Think Progress, and I'm putting it in an email so I can virtue signal. Woohoo! But this is what, what happened. Elite universities boost professor professors who call for gun control, dismiss mental health crisis. They're doing that. Princeton professor using term illegal immigrant set the stage for mass shooting. This is his exact statement. What does it mean to have a discourse in which people are dehumanized? Dehumanized. Eddie Glaude said on what show, boys and girls? Meet the press, because Chuck Todd just brought everybody's anti-gun, just like he did for the green, new, frickin' global cooling, warming, change thingy bobber show. The term illegal immigrant places that person outside of a certain kind of sense of empathy and decency. You set the stage where people are even more on the extreme to act violently. And God said, referring to the use of the term, as well as ones like infestation. Well, they are illegal because they have a legal status. In Mexico, they call it illegal. I would be illegal in Mexico. I'd go to fucking jail. Not a detention camp where I have to poo-poo and pee-pee with a adjoining sink and get free food and air conditioning and medical treatment and everything, and then be caught and released into a liberal town where they hand out everything until other Americans, like soldiers, go fuck yourself, live on the street, and shit on the sidewalk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trump is the greatest danger, is a greater danger than notorious segregationists. This is another Princeton history professor, Kevin M. Cruz. <clears throat> New York Times article, of course, was an op-ed. The real problem with Trump rallies, Cruz compared Trump to former Alabama Democratic Democrat, which we always forget that, but it's in this article because it's written by people who actually have intellectual honesty. George Wallace, who coined the phrase segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. As governor and body, the cause of segregationist resistance, Cruz wrote, write, writes about Wallace describing the politician as literally standing in the schoolhouse door, blah, blah, blah. He claims some of Mr. Wallace's specific phrases as his own, most notably the call for law and order, and more generally has stoked the same fires, resentments, and racism, he writes. Particularly their audience's hatred, both men effectively encouraging them to act on it, Cruz says, comparing violence at the two men's rallies. After Cruz compared Trump to Wallace, he points out difference between them, stating that it shows how Mr. Trump remains a greater danger and poses a graver threat to peaceful political discourse, especially as we enter a presidential election campaign. <clears throat> I'm not going to read the rest of this, but let's just break it down. He's the greater danger. Antifa, regular Democrats, as we will see today, motherfuckers saying stab that motherfucker in the heart on live stream. To Mitch McConnell. Yeah. 
Yeah, the conservatives have a problem. You can run as many white nationalists and 390,000 fucking uh, gun shootings this year that you just inflate from every, you know every town. and You can keep doing this media, but nobody's buying it. The left has a problem with violence. You just don't report on it. We do. There's been one story in the last three months about a conservative doing something. I didn't cover it. I should have, to be intellectually honest. But I did not cover it, and it was a guy who punched a protester in the face. The reason why I didn't cover it, because it was muddied. By the time it was put out, who knows who fucking hit first. It was a fight. Next one, professor calls to get rid of grades because they're capitalism in action. This is another one of these. New York professor is calling for the abolition of grades, he claims, and not only unfair to students, but that they are means of propping up capitalism, and as such, academia would be better off doing away with grading entirely. Grading takes up much of my time. God, I'm so intelligent, I don't have time for this shit. That could be better spent on teaching or otherwise directing, interacting with students. New school professor Richard Wolf wrote in a Monday op-ed entitled Grades or Capitalism in Action. Let's get them out of our schools. He claims the practice of administrating grades to students as little educational payoff and disrespects students as thinking people. This is taking participation trophies way too far, buddy boy. So... I always cover the college crazy, and for those that maybe listen to it at our college, because I think I, when I see spikes and listens, like there's 400 listens to this podcast, it's somebody came across it, handed it to a student, listen to this white nationalism, this is proof of white nationalism, he loves the country, he's white, so he's a racist. But I do it because this is why we're fucking going in the ditch, using Obama terminology, so you'll understand it. We're going in the ditch, we hate our fucking country. Because these schools are pumping dumb shit in people's heads. How do I know? Survey. Less than half of students say U.S. is the most powerful country. Survey conducted by College Pulse collected responses from over 27,000 college students. Altogether, 8,394 respondents, 30%, claim that China, not the U.S., is the most powerful country in the world. China was the second most selected nation in the poll, trailing only the U.S. Then we have this one. Study. Young Americans trust college professors more than the military, police, and religious leader. The results are part of a broad study on trust and distrust in America, conducted in late 2018 by the Pew Research Center. The survey interviewed 10,618 U.S. adults and grouped them in age groups of 1829, 3049, 50, 64, and 65 plus. Study found that 74% of U.S. adults between the age of 18 and 29 trust college professors while only 69%, 67%, and 50% of them trust the military police officers and religious leaders, respectively. So, viewing the Saul Alinsky yes, theory of taking over the country that Barack Obama used, this is how you do it. You de- destabilize what people think about their government, about officials in the government, about our institutions and then you do the individual groups and pit them against each other and this is what we have 
A bunch of fucking skinny jean, chai latte drinking motherfuckers running around and go, my professor is the person I trust. Fuck God. Fuck the military. Fuck everything. I mean, a couple of podcasts ago, I didn't remark on it. And um, this is America. Because I didn't hear it. I didn't listen to the full soundbite like a dumbass. Uh, literally had this girl just going off about the military like she was back in 68. You know, throwing shit on troops. Where did she get that? Uh, she got it from her school. Then we have this one. Every once in a while we come across a classy thread. Super classy. This one is named is from Preston Mitchum. According to Preston's bio, he also writes for Think Progress, The Root, MTV, which says a lot. Preston Mitchum. He's a professor. We must have a conversation about how white women show up in spaces, both professional and personal. It's amazing how white womanhood is treated as innocent when it's caused so much harm and violence to black and brown people. There is no innocence in white womanhood except maybe to white men. And that isn't saying much. I think about all the white women who have gotten black men killed. I still think back all the white women who lied on being sexually assaulted by black men, which is a hella complicated and discovering. I think of white women who steal black women's writing. I think of white women who raise racist white sons. I think of white women who blame the racist white husbands despite their being married. I think of the white women also don't care about abortion restrictions until their bodies were also under attack. I think of the 53% who voted for Trump. I think of the white women who believe they champion issues for people of color until their opinion is challenged. White women can be just as dangerous as white men, and that must be interrogated. And before someone even begins to think they are immune, I also think of the progressive white women who show you they aren't progressive the moment we discuss racial justice. Why is this one being talked about, Tony Reid? Well, we're back into election season. We're about to hit 2020. And if you remember during that time, that was the big takeaway. It wasn't we put up a fucking decrepit, horrible candidate who said that 50% of the country was fucktards and got beat by some guy who never should have won the election. No, it was white women, you racist white motherfuckers. And so they're starting it. It's the shaming. We have a great tweet of the day later on that literally is the Democrats' plan. You all suck, vote for us. That's pretty much the synopsis of what the Democratic Party is right now. I mean, you suck. Racist, sexist. You don't think like us, so you are evil. It's a hell of a plan. The problem is it works a lot of the time because there's a lot of white guilt out there. Listen, I might seem like I don't give two shits about all this shit, and the reason is I've never called anybody the N-word. Nobody in my family ever owned slaves. Nobody in my family has ever sexually assaulted somebody. Nobody in my family has ever beat up a fucking fag or a lesbian or called somebody a fag or a fucking dyke. Nobody's ever done any of these things. No. We don't give a fuck. As I say, at nauseum. You can fucking be a goddamn goat. Be the best fucking goat you are. Just don't expect me to buy your bullshit. I don't expect you to buy my bullshit. I don't expect you to live your life the way I do. Root for the teams I do. Eat the food I do. Pray to the God I do. That's America. That's what freedom is. The left has changed freedom to be, 
You are free to be like me. That's the bumper sticker. That's not America. No. No, no, no. With periods of no. I don't think we have a national crisis for 0.07% of the country. That being transgender. I don't think we have a crisis for 3.5% of the population who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, panty-morous, gender-neutral, gender-queer, and the 95 fucking pronouns. I don't see that as a problem. I do see the 0.05% of our veterans. We have a fucking problem. Homelessness. 22 suicides a day, and the VA is a fucking clusterfuck. That's a problem. And if you really think about it, they are a real minority in this country. Super duper minority. We don't even talk about that minority. So, yeah. 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 Okay, I'll move on. French activists test for discrimination record results with hidden cameras on private beaches. Left-wing anti-racism groups said they have been using several different couples of varying skin colors to see how private beaches react to them making previous reservations and use hidden cameras to record the results. During one of the experiments, the groups say they had a couple of North African appearance attempt to reserve chairs and they were told by staff, there's no more room. Shortly after, groups sent a Caucasian couple and said they were welcome and allowed to book a pair of chairs in the front row of the beach. So, that's a big thing in France. Coming to a th- We already do it. It's like, what would you do? It's a TV show, so France, get on board, man. Make your country, you all suck. This one's pretty funny. This is a lady named Roosh. I don't know who they are, but it came up. Pants were invented for men, not women. It's impossible for a woman to wear pants, jeans, yoga pants, dress pants, leggings, dungarees, etc., without sexualizing her body since they highlight her legs, curves, and rear end. Women who want to be modest should not own pants at all. Coming to a theater near you. That's the next thing. Pants. Man spreading, as Sean sent us, and pants. I'm all for that. I love dresses. Have at it. To our Hollywood shit, Euphoria finale caps off fuel sex-fueled season with teen abortion scene. Though we've had rape, watching porno, and now we have a whole abortion scene where it's, oh, this is the best thing I ever did. I'm not reading it. Four weddings and a funeral take cheap shot at Mike Pence Christianity. Who lose four weddings and a funeral? Never watched it. Co-created by Kurt, Richard Curtis, who created the original movie and Mindy Kaling, The Mini Project. And I hope this team would deliver a heartfelt, funny comedy that either... Okay, fuck it. The show centers around, I don't give a fuck. At the end, it just, they take a shot at Christianity. So that was the point. Let's move on. In HuffPost, daughter-in-law from hell wants to cut kids off from Trump-loving grandparents. An almost 3,000-word screed in HuffPost, writer Hannah Sellinger announced to the world, it might be time to cut my right-wing Trump-loving-in-laws out of my kids' lives on Wednesday. The daughter-in-law from hell accuses her husband's parents of racism, sexism, homophobia, and even veiled anti-Semitism because telling a Jewish person how much you love Jewish people is on its face a message of marginalization, she says. She also complains that her father-in-law once left the room when two men kissed on TV and muttered disgusting under his breath in the earshot of her son. 
I can tell you from personal experience that discomfort with homosexuality on TV is not limited to bigoted Trump supporters, as I've witnessed the same thing from liberal older family members who are addicted to MSDNC and rabidly anti-Trump. Sellinger seems to suffer from extreme lack of self-awareness combined with a myopic self-centeredness. She needs to put herself on the other side's shoes. After all, how many of us can say this exact same thing about our deranged liberal friends and relatives? I can't just pretend they aren't who they are. They have become completely indoctrinated, and what's worse, they don't really seem to care. They know fully that there are consequences to all of this, but still they pursue a course of belief and seems odd with morality. She seems to think that everything is uniquely bad and uniquely Trump's fault, when the truth is her little liberal bubble was popped and she only recently started noticing the world the way it's always been. Conservatives have been putting up with intolerant liberal relatives for decades, yet for her, this is intolerable. I can't go on pretending that we're a normal family. It's not like I can just leave them with the kids for the night and hope they don't say something awful about marginalized group of people while I'm out enjoying a martini with my husband. That safety has been stolen from both of us. She's aghast that her in-laws oppose abortion in any kind, in all circumstances, but they appear unbothered by the idea of migrant kids in cages in country's border, just like they did under Obama. But that's okay. This is just petty politics. We're going to be upset by multiple things at a time, but why should conservatives be uniquely stained morally for actions that Barack Obama took several years ago that liberals only just recently came around to discovering? All of us pro-lifers have cherished friends and family members who support or even have participated in a purposeful destruction of unborn human beings. Liberal logic would ask, how do you even tolerate being near such bad, evil people and say our silence is being complicit? Instead, we separate the person from the abhorrent beliefs and love them anyway, realizing that the good people can believe and even do horrible things. Selinger goes on about her in-laws embracing conspiracy theories, and then she goes on about everything on the list of stupid shit, and she ends up on Nazis. Yeah. Here she boils her own chose down to either banish your in-laws or Nazi revivalism. I don't want my boys to grow up without their grandparents, but I also don't want them to grow up thinking that children belong in cages or that go back where you came from is anything short of a dog whistle to a Nazi revivalism. End scene. So, this is not new. I mean, my daughter doesn't listen, but if she does, she knows she's disowned us numerous times over shit. Because we don't agree with her. I had the incident where our good neighbor, since we moved in this house, we thought we were straight. Oh, we were not. Her daughter had sex with a black guy in the house. I say black guy because it was a big deal for them. And it surfaced in messages that they never told us about it because they thought we were racist. Because we didn't vote for Obama. They talked to us. They met us. They saw black people over at the house. They they never heard anything out of our mouths that was anti-anything. Our dog sitter is dark, dark, dark black. I say dark, dark, dark because even black people counter as black people. Because there's a whole thing with light and dark skinned black people that we don't even talk about in the media. There's racism with the black people. But... We were upset because the dog ate the rubber full of skeet. That's what we were upset about, and that got to us. And so I wrote this lady a long lambasting, who the fuck are you to judge me, email, to which she never responded, and they moved away a year later. This is what liberals do. They just assume. I don't think everybody who voted for Hillary is for federally funded abortions, taking away all guns, 
and unfettered immigration. Because I'm a fucking adult. But these people aren't adults. They're children. It's either their way or no way. And they automatically go, well, if you voted for Trump and you tolerated this, this, and this, then you are for Nazism. And it's why our country's a clusterfuck right now. That's why we have people getting beat the fuck down for wearing a red fucking hat. Jesus Christ, you people fucking piss me off. Victoria's Secret hires first transgender model. A man presenting himself as a woman will probably be modeling for the brand that markets itself exclusively for women. According to Fox News, Lingerie Empire, Victoria's Secret has hired its first transgender model, Valentina Samboya of Brazil, who looks like me with a wig. Victoria's Secret is probably hired as first ever transgender model less than a year after the lingerie company came under fire after an executive made remarks about transgender people walking in its annual fashion show. So we virtue signal by putting a dude in drag and calling him a girl. Hmm. Very nice. Very, very nice. It's not the first, though. We have so much shit on this in our society from, you know, ESPN. The person of the year, Jenner. Okay. Here's that, uh, oh Jesus, the y- Jessica Yanif. I was going to play it, but it's like t- an hour long, so we're not going to. She responded to allegations of being inappropriate online contact with minors during an interview with YouTuber Blair White on Monday. As one might imagine, the interview was anything but ordinary. At about an hour into questioning from White, Yanif brandished a taser, bringing that such a weapon is illegal in Canada where the activist is located. Yanov's home was poorly raided the following day due to the weapon brandishing reported the post-millennial on Tuesday. Yanov, who has made headlines over the past year, blah, 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 and the ten, we already talked about it. How would you respond to all the allegations of you sending messages, tweets, emails, etc. to underage girls asking them about their pads, tampons, menstrual cycles, and asking that if they were a little older... You would be with them, White asked Yanev. Unfortunately, I do not do have to say that they are fake, Yanev answered. The activist said that back in 2012-13, Yanev worked for a popular girl brand of six singing sisters and had to reach out to underage girls. When I handed their social media, what I did was I reached out on my Twitter and said, Hey, how old are you? to create almost like a fan base. White bluntly said Yanev was lying about the messages being fake. There are tweets going back to 2011, 12, and 13 of people talking about your inappropriate conduct. Also, if you look at all those screenshots of your messaging girls underage, it's not like they came after you rose to infamy with your waxing scandal and got media attention. <clears throat> they were before, so I'm wondering what the motivation would be of stranger on the internet to Photoshop hundreds of screenshots of you being inappropriate with young girls before you even got notoriety. 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 Yanev dismissed White's reasoning, again claiming the messages were sent from Yanev. White moved on to Yanev's allegedly sending a 15-year-old girl voice messages of baby noises. In a report from Post Millennial published in July, Jessica Rumpel came forward and said messages Yanev was singing in an Elmo voice about Rumpel's breast bouncing up and down, for example. Yanov explanation, those messages were indeed from Yanov, but they were sent to different friends. Yanov's not sure how they ended up with Rumpel, who was 15-year-olds at the time, basically saying, well, I did say it, but I didn't say it to her, so I'm a good dude, and it goes on to balls from there. This 
I'm only staying with this story. Because the media brought this forward. Then they dropped it because the allegations. And it once again reinforces it's a mental illness. It's gender dysphoria. They are not right in the kibasa. So we continue to see these child strippers and drag queens. Most normal people, folks, don't care if you want to be a girl. What we care about is child abuse. And the studies have proven, for those who don't believe me, go back in the catalog. Plenty of studies. All this shit tends to have more problems for children. The children of these people turn out to have terrible fucking lives. Because this was their parent. Ice, ice baby. Moving on. NBC touts man-made iceberg scheme to help the planet. This is a real thing. NBC promoted a new idea to mitigate rising seas. Build more icebergs with a fleet of ice-making submarines. Yes. The audacious plan was broadcast August 6th, writing... Designers in Indonesia have offered up what they, what may be the most audacious plan yet. They proposed building ice-making submarines that would ply polar waters and pop out icebergs to replace melting flows. Yeah. Okay. Flying shame. Vox guilt trips air travelers over climate impact. Global demand for air travel is rising, so Vox celebrated a way to shame passengers for flying because of climate change for the second time in a week. Vox staff writer Amar Irfan promoted the global flying shame movement in a new website, Shame Plane, on August 7th. Swedish digital designer Victor Mueller and developer Dennis Martinson created the site to guilt trip travelers over the carbon emissions of their flights. Inspired by Swedish climate change activist Greta Thunberg, Mueller initially crunched the numbers because of his own anxieties about climate change and found his flight carbon footprint shocking and paralyzing. Paralyzing, he said. Erfan wrote another article about Swedish flight shaming movement less than a week earlier. Mueller's website includes a calculator to determine a passenger's carbon footprint and compares that to individual actions that reduces emissions over the course of one year. Possible actions include using LED bulbs and giving up driving. Which takes us to our next story, The New Yorker. Combustion engines have helped create a climate crisis. The quest for oil has led our soldiers into war, even though we don't care about them soldiers. And the road has become a setting for violent, systemic racism. Our car's worth it. So we're racist because of fucking global cooling warming change. Okay. So how are we supposed to get around, people? I mean, there's all sorts of changes that we could use. Electric, electric cars, or they could actually go more than two blocks. Natural gas was an option. But on Berkeley, Berkeley somehow bans natural gas. Cut to the chase. They are not letting new construction put natural gas lines in. So let's just look at something for the change. Just for a second. Liberals can fly all over the place for climate summits. Nobody has a fucking problem with that because they're good people. You and I, you're a piece of shit if you fly. Liberals don't want us to drive cars anymore because it's killing the planet. So you're supposed to fucking walk. And oh, by the way, we could come up with a replacement 
But we're not going to do that because natural gas, the cleaning, cleanest burning fuel there is on the planet, it doesn't put out any carbon footprint. We're going to pay on that too. You fuckers go to your cave now and eat only vegetation. I'm going to stay up in my penthouse driving my fucking SUV with my iPhone because I'm a good person. I believe in climate change. You're fucking idiots. To our fucking crazy crime. This is some good shit. Teen urinates on Walmart shelf days after woman takes a dump in the store potatoes. I Seriously, think about that for a second. I've had a panic shit in a Walmart. I never thought about dropping a loaf in the potato section. Never came to mind. Ever. Detroit woman was secret hoarder. Nobody knew. Until they found her eaten by her dogs. I'm telling you, every time I cover these stories, it scares the shit out of me. You all know, if you listen for a long time, my wife is all about the animals. We're going to die and be eaten. Indian boy, seven, found with 526 fucking toofuses in his mouth. He's a fucking shark. They were from 0.1 millimeter to 3 millimeter. Brooklyn woman, 20, is charged after she is caught on nanny cam forcing her housemate's dog to eat her gooch. There was no peanut butter used. How do you explain that? She is a work of art, too, man. This chick's got blue hair. She is a hot mess. And I'm sure that dog is a hot mess now. I'm telling you. I couldn't even hug my dog for a while after he ate the, or she ate the fucking rubber. I don't know what I'd do if my dog ate that girl's gooch. I think I'm not, I wouldn't hug it anymore. That was one scary bitch. Woman arrested for theft. Police find meth in her gooch. She says, it's not hers. How do you, how do you fucking say it's not yours? She had a gram of uh, meth inside a Roland's vagina. Oh, sorry. Inside Roland's vagina. Roland denied ownership of the methamphetamine. I placed Roland under arrest and transported to OCC. Yeah. I don't know how you call it off. I don't know how you say that because it's in your gooch. You say somebody just stuck it there and I didn't know that I had meth in my gooch. And let's think about it. I wouldn't want to put anything if I had a gooch in my gooch. Because the bag could break. And that would be bad. On that note, <laughs> to a music break. And we're going to head in to Gun, Gun, Gun. Start right off with a very long soundbite. Oh, yeah. It's Trump's fault. It's your fault. It's the NRA's fault. If you even touched a gun, it's your fault.
looking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. I think a lot of people will, particularly the Democrats in the 2020 race right now, will hear the president's words as empty, uh, that they lacked self-reflection. I think they might challenge him and say, because, uh, you know, this tenor, this tenor and this tone, they're laying the blame directly at his feet this morning for, for, for where we are in this country. The question is, what, how has his rhetoric contributed to the environment, even though he can't be responsible for the murder itself? And the president did not have an explicit call for new gun legislation there, for anything on background checks. That's one of the things that the Democrats have been demanding. But as we've seen time and time again, it does not seem that there is the political will uh, or interest from Republican leaders to be addressing uh, stricter gun measures at this time. That's the question I want to ask you. Does it feel different on Capitol Hill? Of course, everyone's away in the recess. Does it feel different on Capitol Hill this time that the pressure might actually build in a way that Mitch McConnell will feel forced to accede to those calls and bring the Congress back? So far, George, we are seeing an all-too-familiar pattern play out here. And unless you see increasing pressure coming from Republicans and coming from the president himself, it is very hard to see how Mitch McConnell is going to all of a sudden go ahead and, and, and comply with Democrats' request that lawmakers come back here. Sunday, several Democratic presidential candidates said the president should be held accountable. The president not only tolerates but invites the kind of racism and hatred that that not only offends us, but, but changes who we are as a country. Candidate Julian Castro says Trump has given license for white supremacy to fester. As our national leader, you have a role to play in either fanning the flames of division or trying to bring Americans of different backgrounds together. The president has long made controversial comments about immigrants. They're bringing crime. My heart is exhausted. It's so much for all of us to have to keep dealing with this over and over and know that as hard as we fight, it continues to happen. 19-year-old Delaney Tarr is a Parkland survivor turned social activist. We are not here for breadcrumbs. We are here for real change. She helped start March for Our Lives, the national movement against gun violence that grew out of last year's school massacre. There have been 566 mass shootings since. How do you feel when you see these shootings happen over and over again, when you guys set out to stop this? It it almost feels like we, we keep shouting into this nothingness because nobody's listening. Lawmakers aren't listening. But this is quite literally life or death. Every day we wait is another life lost. Students are sick and tired of, of planning vigils. Like These are 15, 16, 17-year-olds, and they're experts at vigil planning. Tar, 16-year-old Ryan Servitus, and 21-year-old Trevor Wild invited us to their headquarters in Florida. Every time we see another shooting, it's this mixture of defeat, of anger, of renewed spirit. When you say the word defeat, what what do you mean by that? There is this certain level of personal responsibility that a lot of us feel every time we find out somebody else has died at the hand of a gun. They've taken that responsibility on the road, registering 50,000 voters for the midterms and even helped pass a universal background bill in the House in February that's But there are other things that we'll be looking for as the president makes remarks here. Number one, how will he respond to those claims that he is to blame for what happened in El Paso, given what we know about the shooter's motive, given the uh, almost identical language that the, the gunman used in talking about the crisis at the border with regard to illegal immigration? Uh, number two, 
how will he characterize this shooting? Because words matter here. And he did at the very top of his speech. He denounced uh, emphatically racism and white supremacy, something that uh, many lawmakers believe is important, but who also feel that it may have come too late. They believe that some of the president's own rhetoric over the past couple of years has, has normalized the, uh, the notion of white supremacy in this country. They think he needs to do a lot more, not only to speak out against it, Nora, but also to curtail his own rhetoric. This is the president who began his campaign by saying Mexicans are murderers, rapists, they're drug dealers, we need to get rid of them. This is a president of the United States that calls people like me who come to the United States of America breeders, animals, and he has no self-examination today in his comments. He said that those that are, that are, that are prejudice and bigotry and hatred are heartless, don't have a heart don't have a soul. Well, Mr. President, by your own words, you are heartless and soulless because you have been the uh, propaganda chief of hatred here in the United States of America. And look, black people can't go to church unless they're assassinated by a white supremacist. Jews can't go to the synagogues. Latinos can't go shopping. Muslims can't go to the mosque. People live in fear because of hatred. And yes, we need a war, a war on terrorism here in the United States of America to eradicate. It needs to be a holistic approach. You just can't take away uh, <coughs> magazines and think everything's going to be better. You need a holistic approach to this, and we really do need to address it if America needs to be safe. But the Republican Party is owned by the NRA. It has to, it's owned by the NRA. The president of the United no, States, not. when he won his election, C went to the NRA. They contributed tens of millions of dollars to his campaign. They are foremost against any, any, any attempt by the, the legislative branch of government, explain, by the executive branch of government, the to put the Obama people of the United States first again of their... 1966 school book, excuse me, at the top of the University of Texas bell tower, shooter goes up, kills 15 people, injures 30. That's how long this has been on. Uh, we've been talking about this, right? I looked at Bill Moyer's but press David, statement, David, LBJ's you know, press you secretary. You know the numbers, David. The numbers are going yeah. up significantly in recent years. I mean, we, we have a president now where you have a manifesto where someone's calling out the president uh, about his own speech about uh, Latinos. I mean, that certainly is something that has changed you. If that's something but, you but want to talk about, listen, David, take, do you see that but, as but, something but, but, yeah, that's take, changed take as the, well? The, 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 yeah, but the shooter says in the manifesto, why don't you take his own words? He said the president had nothing to do with this. The shooter yeah, but says he, but that he's, But he's also acknowledging no, that quite. the president's rhetoric is similar to his. That is also well, what he's doing. So, he's not so, completely so, absolving so, so, him. He's saying, don't point uh, to the president uh, 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 who has a similar rhetoric as, as, the, as, as the shooter does. Yeah. I, mean, I would just say, I want to bring in Congressman yeah. Gutierrez, but, but, but David Urban, I would say Nia does make a point. Well, one thing that has changed, a lot has changed. One thing that has changed is that the highest office in the land has seemed to make it okay to call people from other countries invaders and has said that Congresswomen should leave this country. Okay, I mean, minority congresswomen. I'm not going to fight with you about this because I want all the voices in. I'm just stating a fact that that's one thing. You asked what has changed. That's one thing that has changed. You'll have yeah, a but chance it to talk again. Poppy, that's, it's I, a, it's, it's an not, unfair jump to make, make that to say advocating nope. violence. It's unfair. It's not Bobby, an unfair is. jump to make when I Bobby, said when, when, that when, one when the, when the thing that shot, has listen, changed, Bobby, when the, David Urban, Bobby, one when thing the that has shot up the Republican is the rhetoric soft, in this country. Bobby, when the gentleman okay? shot up the, 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 the Republican baseball team, 
right? Yep. Who was who was a fan of who was a fan of social media on the left and television on the left and politicians on the left? Did anybody was there a hue and cry against those those television personalities look, or those politicians look, that fueled the flames of that gentleman? So, Congressman Gutierrez, I, I'm just asking a question. Con- yes. You said what has changed. Yeah. I noted yeah. one thing that has changed. Congressman Gutierrez, to you, the president just made a promise. But l- let me move on because during. Um, one of the debates, uh, your 2020 opponent, uh, Governor Jay Inslee of Washington, said that President Trump is a, quote, white nationalist. That was a fairly stark accusation. Do you agree with that? Do you think President Trump is a white nationalist? Some of the Democrats running for president um, not only are faulting the president for his rhetoric, but they're saying that that rhetoric, in their view, you heard Congressman Better work maybe, um, leads to this, causes violence. Do you agree or does that go too far? Former congressman from El Paso, Beto O'Rourke, told me earlier this show that in his view, the president's anti-immigrant rhetoric is making things worse and creating an atmosphere of violence. Do you agree? Do you have any concerns about the things the president says about immigrants? Jake, I'm not qualified to comment on that. I'm not a talking head. I'm focusing on the El Pasoans and, and the 20, 20 deaths and their families. Now, the, the, the screed, the, the document that the law enforcement is currently looking into about whether or not this terrorist, this white supremacist in El Paso wrote it, um, he, he uses the language that we've heard from the president in terms of calling migrants coming into this country, an invasion. It's in the second sentence of this manifesto or screed, uh, which is obviously something that President Trump has said. But, but the, the shooter also said that he uh, thought this way and had these beliefs before President Trump, and that President Trump is not responsible. Um, I don't know how you make sense of any of this, but, but what did you think when you, when you saw that? Your um, campaign rival and fellow Texan, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, said, quote, President Trump's racism does not just offend our sensibilities, it fundamentally changes the character of this country and it leads to violence. Uh, You haven't gone that far this morning. Uh, Do you think that Congressman O'Rourke is saying something that's unfair? Do you see any sort of link between the comments the president makes and this kind of violence? What do you think? Well, I believe. A lot of people are looking at Washington now. The two mass shootings quickly reignited the nationwide debates over guns, immigration, and racism. It comes as some Democrats are calling on the president to not only take action, but to change his rhetoric. Mr. Trump ignored questions about whether the El Paso shooter's anti-immigrant essay shared similarities with some of his own rhetoric. And now some of the president's previous public comments targeting undocumented immigrants are facing renewed scrutiny. Several Democratic presidential candidates argue the president bears some responsibility for the shooting in El Paso. I say to President Trump, please stop the racist anti-immigrant rhetoric. These are white men motivated by the kind of fear that this president traffics in. Joe Biden tweeting, we must do what Trump won't, condemn this evil and erratic. But we found the ideology that can inspire some to mass murder is taking inspiration from the president. We went to a neo-Nazi festival in Germany a few weeks ago. But what surprised us most is what organizers were handing out at the door. So they're giving out hats. M-G-H-A. 
make Germany hate again. We found the man who made the hat. So people are using his yes. his hat uh, yeah. as a inspiration. Yes. Do people here like him? Do you like him? Uh, I like his style. From President Trump. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. No ambiguity today. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Those are his words now, but what about what he's said and done before? All of it triggering skepticism from the president's opponents. Former President Obama late today with rare stinging criticism, saying we should soundly reject language coming out of the mouths of any of our leaders that feeds a climate of fear and hatred or normalizes racist sentiments. He added, never mentioning President Trump by name, such language isn't new, but it has no place in our politics and our public life. The height of hypocrisy for the president to, to blame hatred when the president has fomented. This is a, a unique problem uh, to this uh, time in American history where you have this proliferation of guns. You can talk about mental health, you can talk about video games all you want. But as Wes pointed out, uh, certainly there are mental health issues in other countries. There are video games uh, in other countries uh, as well. And the other unique part of this era is Trump's rhetoric on race, his rhetoric about black uh, and brown people and the Republican parties. Uh, unwillingness to really talk about it and, and in some ways really pick up that language. If you look at John Cornyn's uh, Twitter feed, for instance, some of the language in his Twitter feed mirrors some of the language uh, in, in that manifesto uh, from the, the killer in, in El Paso. So that is problematic. You know, David Urban has a, a lot to say about Congress and what Congress needs to do. I wonder if he has any advice for what the president should do in terms of, of his language, talking about Mexicans uh, as killers, talking about Mexicans uh, as rapists, talking about Baltimore, uh, talking about African countries yeah, but, uh, yeah. in a dis disparaging way. So, you know, all fine and good that, that he wants Congress to come together and, and sort of clean up their act and address uh, gun control. But but listen, I mean, yeah, the president yeah. uh, also has a responsibility, I think most Americans agree, uh, to not be so disparaging, to, to not be so disparaging towards black people, towards brown people, uh, in the way that we've seen him do time and time again, endless, countless examples okay. of him. Uh, really, I think, inciting uh, this sort of rhetoric at his rallies. And again, we saw it in that manifesto with this uh, killer pointing out the, Trump's own rhetoric. President Obama used the power of the presidency mm -hmm. to try to pass comprehensive immigration reform with the Latino community, Latino leaders at the table. You now have a president, as you said, talking about exterminating right. Latinos. It's, it's, it's we have to understand the adversary and the threat we're dealing with. And if we don't understand how they think, we'll never understand how to counter them. So it's little things and language and messaging that matters. The president said that we will fly our flags at half-mast until August 8th. That's 8-8. Eight, eight. Now, I'm not going to imply that he did this deliberately, but I am using it as an example of the ignorance of the adversary that's being demonstrated by the White House. The numbers 8-8 eight, eight are very significant in neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. Why? Because the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And to them, the numbers 8-8 eight, eight together stand for Heil Hitler. So we're going to be raising the flag back up uh, at dusk on 8-8. Eight, eight. 
No one's thinking about this. This country has had several of these mass incidents, but I think we're overdue for a Brevik-style real massacre of a political nature. And as Cynthia said, these people feel that they are the foot soldiers and executors of, of what the disenfranchisement that the white race is feeling, and Donald Trump is giving them subliminal orders in their head. They are no different than the mobilized, you know, self-starting, radical, self-radicalized terrorists of ISIS here in the United States and Europe who take cars and drive down streets. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. But there are a lot of things he can do. But he won't. And so you have to ask the question, Joe. And I'll ask you. Isn't it okay to deduce that at this point, this is what he wants? He is inciting hatred, inciting violence, inciting racism. If he doesn't unequivocally call it off and say this is wrong and we stand together against this and we are doing this this and this to help fight hate crime i mean this is a president who seems to want these things to happen it's been three days since the mass shootings in Texas and Ohio, and people are very tense. Our nation's butthole is clenched so tight it could hoist a bowling ball. Last night in Times Square, a motorcycle backfired and the crowd stampeded thinking there was a gunman loose. Gentle request to the automobile industry, could you please make vehicles that don't make gun sounds? Any other sound would be fine. Make it so backfiring cars sound like DJ Khaled. <laughs> See, that's not scary, and now you know that car doesn't go down on his car wife. And if that's not practical, here's a better idea. Get rid of the guns. To stampede through Times Square for anything but free samples at the M&M store. We are so sick of living in fear for no goddamn good reason. It is aging us. When this show premiered three and a half years ago, I looked like this. Oh, my God. Can you believe that outfit I'm wearing? What was I thinking? It's very clear what the problem is. Despite the usual attempts by the president and others to pin the blame elsewhere like this. We must reform our mental health laws to better identify mentally disturbed individuals. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Right. The gun didn't pull the trigger because that is physically impossible, unless maybe it had one of its ribs removed. <laughs> but the gun did put the bullets into people. Mental illness did not. As far as we know, the El Paso shooter wasn't mentally ill at all. Being a racist monster isn't a mental illness. In fact, you can be one and be a very stable genius. <laughs> Painting mass shooters. As mentally ill is unfair to the vast majority of mentally ill people who aren't stocking up on killing machines. It's a lazy assumption. It would be like if I assumed that you were all feeble-minded scrotes who could only manage an erection while stroking a gun. Stop trying to make this problem more complex than it is. We know what causes mass shootings, and you do too. It's the guns, stupid. You know, those weird metal thingies that could have controlled every decision you've made your entire political career. But Trump found another scapegoat in his speech, citing people who immerse themselves in a violent fantasy world where they're constantly being attacked by enemies. No, not that violent fantasy world. This one. We must stop the glorification of violence in our society. 
This includes the gruesome and grisly video games that are now commonplace. Video games are not to blame for shootings or assaults or hate crimes. They are not that influential. My college boyfriend played Mortal Kombat all the time and he never learned how to finish me. <laughs> Even the Supreme Court has called bullshit on the link between video games and violence. But the entertainment industry has always been an easy target for politicians trying to blame someone for violence. In the 90s, it was action movies. In the 80s, it was heavy metal. In the 50s, it was comic books. And obviously, the Civil War would never have happened if it wasn't for those violent chess sets. <laughs> for those who still somehow don't get the link between guns and gun violence, a review by the Harvard School of Public Health found that, surprise, where there are more guns, there is more homicide. That research was the biggest waste of Harvard-educated minds since the writer's room at Two and a Half Men. It's so painfully stupidly obvious that guns cause gun violence, yet Republicans keep trying to find any other cause, no matter how nonsensical. Representative Candace Keller from Middletown posted this now-deleted message on Facebook blaming the recent shootings on gay marriage, drag queen advocates, and recreational marijuana. She also appeared to point blame at former President Barack Obama and football player Colin Kaepernick. Those don't cause mass shootings, although they would cause a hell of a party. Best bar mitzvah ever. Our political leaders are like those idiot Wheel of Fortune contestants who have most of the puzzle revealed but still keep guessing the wrong answer. It's guns, you fuckheads. Just say guns. Trump's speech did make a few worthless nods toward curbing gun violence. He endorsed red flag laws, which would allow the confiscation of guns from people deemed to pose a threat. But those are state laws. The proposed federal legislation would only provide grants to states that choose to enact them. Trump also offered to expand background checks if Democrats would agree to tighten immigration laws, a compromise that gives everyone a win, including the El Paso shooter who called for tighter immigration laws in his manifesto. This was one of the deadliest hate crimes against Hispanic people in our country's history. Using it to give our xenophobic president a win would be a slap in the face. It would be like if we passed reparations for slavery but only paid them to Mel Gibson. And background checks aren't even a concession to the Democrats anyway. 92% of Republicans want them. Almost everyone supports them, except Mitch McConnell, who's refusing to let the Senate vote on a bipartisan background checks bill that was passed by the House. Unfortunately, the only way around Mitch is to win back the Senate. Either that or sick a bunch of patios on it. Republicans can't even consider gun legislation because they're afraid the NRA will attack them, which is a really horrible reason to let innocent people die. They are endangering all of America to appease a group that has fewer than 5 million members, which sounds like a lot, but that's only 1.5% of the U.S. population keeping us from having sane gun laws. By comparison, 12 million Americans own Kenny G's Breathless album, and we don't let those assholes tell the rest of us what to do. Trump and the Republicans have laid out a clear solution to end gun violence. First, cure the mental illness they invented, then get rid of video games, the internet, plus transgender people, same-sex marriage, drag queens, marijuana, kneeling athletes, and Barack Obama. And while we're at it, all embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's just that simple. Well, how about this? Get rid of the guns. If not, come November 2020, we'll just get rid of you. 
in words and actions throughout his presidency. He's basically declared open season on, on, on Latinos because we are one of his fav favorite targets. And it's not just the language he used. You know, you mentioned uh, calling Mexicans uh, drug dealers and rapists when he came down the escalator. That was day one. Then it escalated into attacks on Latino journalists. It escalated into attacks on the, the so-called, as in his words, the Mexican judge. Then he ramped Trish it up again yeah. to the invasion, the warning people of the caravan, and words like infestation. What do you do with an infestation? With an infestation, the natural lot, the conclusion is to attempt an extermination. What, what, what do you do when certainly the, the last Republican president <coughs> fought for, sought, and, and, and it's, it's not ideal, but had 44% of right. Latino voters. It was, a, it was so politically powerful in, in, inside the last Republican administration. President Obama used the power of the presidency mm -hmm. to try to pass comprehensive immigration reform with the Latino community, Latino leaders at the table. You now have a president, as you said, talking about exterminating right. Latinos. That is a lot of bullshit. We end on the most evil shit, Samantha B, uh, a montage from CNN, and Nicole Wallace, literally in our rage that they're not in power, that Trump wants Latinos to be killed. I misspoke about Trump calling for an extermination of Latinos. My mistake was unintentional. I'm sorry, Trump constant assault on people of color and his use of words invasion to describe the flow of immigrants is intentional and constant. That's her apology. Mine wasn't intentional. He is intentional, which shows that you were being intentional. Jake Tapper decided to use Obama. We should soundly reject language coming out of the mouths of any of our leaders that feeds a climate of fear and hatred or normalizes racist sentiments. Leaders who demonize those who don't look like us. Blognificent B. They bring a knife, we bring a gun. Barack Obama. Does that include Democratic candidates who cannot speak anymore without calling the president or supporters racist? Jake Tapper, I read the manifesto by El Paso shooter background on the Daytona, Daytona, Dayton, Ohio shooter. Either you did not or you're deliberately in feeding the simple racist narratives. Saw your interviews this week. Tim Ryan, Beto Rock, and others didn't, and you didn't challenge. Ben Shapiro. So now two separate New York Times columnists arguing that all conservatives are basically violent white supremacists, but slightly more subtle. Let me put this gently. Fuck yourself. Conservatives have a violence problem. The numbers don't lie. Dave Lennart. Terror and policy, two sides of white nationalism. Charles Blow. Tapero continues. I've been fighting against these white supremacist monsters for years. The FBI arrested a white supremacist threatening me and my family two months ago. I have their number on number one online target in 2016, according to ADL. I have 24-7 security because of them. Your conflation of all conservatives with white supremacist monsters who despise actual conservative principles. You know, like the universal non-racially based applicability of the principles of Western civilization is cynical, deliberate, and disgusting, and is exactly what you've come to expect from the New York Times and their ilk. This isn't journalism. It's not even thoughtful opinion. It's just tiresome and unproductive. Charles Blow. 
I think a better way to look at it is to understand that white nationalist terrorists, young and rash, and white nationalist polymakers, older and more methodical, live on parallel planes, but aiming in the same direction, both with the same goal, to maintain and ensure white dominance and white supremacy. The policymakers believe they can accomplish with legislation in the legal system what the terrorists are trying to underscore with lead. In the minds of the policymakers, border walls, anti-immigration laws, voter suppression, and packing the courts are more prudent and pertinent than bodies in the street. But try telling that to a young white terrorist who distrust distrust everybody in Washington. So when Democrats were for border walls, immigration laws, they voter suppress because... They don't want ID cards. They just want everybody to vote. So that's really suppressing real Americans from voting. And they pack the court all the time. That's not white nationalism. Because majority of them are white. Harry Reid, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. They're white. They're honky white. Lennertz said this. Yes, I understand there are important caveats to add. Conservative America is mostly filled with honorable people who deplore violence and bear no responsibility for right-wing hate killings. Some mass shootings have no evidence political motive, like the one in Dayton on Sunday. And liberal America also has a violent and deranged people, like the man who shot at Republican members of Congress playing baseball in 2017. Some Democratic politicians have also occasionally lapsed into ugly, violent rhetoric and suggested they want to punch their political opponents. But it's folly to pretend that the problem is symmetrical. Mainstream conservative politicians use the rhetoric of physical violence much more often, starting with the current president of the United States. And right-wing extremists have a culture of violence unlike anything on the left. Its consequences are fatal again and again. So Trump does a speech. The headline of the New York Times, Trump urges unity versus racism. By the end of the day, because the emails like John Pina Bickley, a blue check, your headline, which I will not share, is why I'm canceling my subscription. White supremacy is aided by the cowardice of news organizations who are not writing with objectivity of the times we live in. They changed the fucking headline. Then they went on an apology tour. The Columbia Journalism Review interviewed the New York Times executive editor, Dean Baquette, over the, t- the Times changing its Tuesday morning headline after a left-wing social media mob complained it wasn't sufficiently hostile to President Trump. In the wake of the mass murders in El Paso and Dayton, Dayton, sorry, Dayton, being French now, the interview also revealed how intimately dependent the paper is to liberal expectation. The Times caved to liberals on Twitter, including Democratic candidates who were enraged at the initial accuracy of Trump's speech. Someone at CGR came up with his own cutting headline, Times Public Editor, The Readers versus the Masthead over Gabriel Snyder's take. Public in this contents means the left-wing Twitter mob and 2020 Democratic candidates that forced the paper to change the headline. It's also a bit of inside baseball, as the Times controversially no longer employs a public editor. Dean Baquette, the executive editor of the New York Times, was at home on Monday night, as was the rest of the paper's senior leadership referred to internally as the masthead, when the next day's front page was being composed, soon it would turn into a public disaster. At 9.13, Nate Silver's editor-in-chief of 538, a objective guy, the media tells you, 
sparked a social media furor with a tweet of the front page. A banner headline appeared over a pair of stories of President Trump's White House speech addressing the weekend's two mass shootings. Silver commented, not sure Trump urges unity versus racism, is how I would have framed the story. And then began to pile on from the left to Democratic presidential candidates. Within an hour, Tom Jolly, the Times print editor, tweeted an image of the second edition with a rewritten headline, Assailing Hate, But Not Guns. But by that point, the firestorm had spread with readers, journalists, and politicians taken to Twitter to attack the paper for failing to call out Trump's racism and accepting his narrative that he is opposed, he opposes racial discrimination. Banquet pointed out that the Times executive editor no longer picks out the front page stories in digital age, but nevertheless, he says he does take responsibility for what he calls a bad headline, saying it didn't have enough skepticism over what the president said. Snyder showed how Murphy spoke with the Hollywood Reporter, unveiled his flagship streaming show, The Politician, which stars Gwyneth Paltrow and Jessica Lange and airs in September. Times has become an anti-Trump beacon for liberals, even comparing it to the liberal ACLU. All of that is a fair explanation of how a bad headline happens, but it's almost irrelevant to the bigger problem at hand, which is how readers' expectation of the Times has shifted after the election of Trump. The paper, a term is still used primarily due to the force of habit, saw a huge surge of subscription in the days and months after the 16 election. Why that happened is still a subject of debate within the Times. I think the subscribing to the Trump Times was something ac- actionable for people who were afraid of Trump, much like signing up for email lists volunteering for political campaigns, or donating to the ACLU. Snyder also captured the conflict between the ostensibly neutral newspaper and its leftist readership slavery for a constant supply of anti-Trump red meat. Yet there is a glaring disconnect between those energized readers and many times staffers, especially newspaper veterans. Banquet dis- doesn't see himself as the vanguard of the resistance. He takes a much more traditional view of journalists as objective chroniclers of the news, leaving it to readers and pundits to decide what the facts mean. I don't believe our role is to be the leaders of the opposition party. Oh, really? I'm not reading the rest. They are part of the Democratic Party. I mean, the entire media is. He does a speech, and this is how the media covered it. President Trump will visit Dayton and El Paso tomorrow to meet with first responders, law enforcement, and some of the victims of the terrible shootings. But in those communities, there is unease from some who believe the words of comfort fight the rhetoric that came before. Kira Phillips is at the White House. On the eve of the president's visit to El Paso, many people in that community uneasy about his return. President Trump held a rally talking about undocumented immigrants, the border wall, even with El Paso being one of the safest major cities in America. Open borders are dangerous and immoral. The president has also used the word invasion. A word authorities say the suspect used in his own writings, posted right before the massacre. I was badly criticized for using the word invasion. It's an invasion. It is an invasion. You know that. Now many people in El Paso find it unsettling that the president is coming back, this time to provide comfort. Why would you want to come? <laughs> that would be my first thing. Uh, I know he's our president, uh, but... Uh, he has promoted a lot of this, this, all this anger. Democratic candidates, including Beto O'Rourke, the former congressman from El Paso, have pointed to the president's rhetoric. 
People in El Paso, by and large, do not want to see him here, understand that he is part of the problem, part of how we got to this point. What were the warning signs for me, Brian? Ironically, they weren't from my experience in domestic terrorism, but rather they were from my experience in international terrorism and radicalization to Islamic Jihad. Um, you see the same things happening now in white hate uh, groups, in white supremacy groups, um, where not only is the Internet facilitating the speed of radicalization, but, but our leader, our, our chief executive, is seen as almost a mentor and a radicalizer. And unfortunately, today, we did not hear what we needed to hear from that person that these extremists and unstable people look to. He spoke in the in the uh, passive voice, in the collective voice. We didn't hear first person from him. We didn't hear, I condemn white hate ideology. We heard the nation must condemn it. Well, the nation does condemn it, but we didn't hear what we needed to hear. So what happens is the extremists interpret what the president read off a script today as something he needed to say, something he, he didn't really want to say. So the president's either getting really good advice and rejecting it, or he's getting really bad advice. And, and I'll give you an example of that. We have to understand the adversary and the threat we're dealing with. And if we don't understand how they think, we'll never understand how to counter them. So it's little things and language and messaging that matters. The president said that we will fly our flags at half-mast until August 8th. That's 8-8. Eight, eight. Now, I'm not going to imply that he did this deliberately, but I am using it as an example of the ignorance of the adversary that's being demonstrated by the White House. The numbers 8-8 eight, eight are very significant in neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. Why? Because the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And to them, the numbers 8-8 eight, eight together stand for Heil Hitler. So we're going to be raising the flag back up uh, at dusk on 8-8. Eight, eight. No one's thinking about this. No one's, no one's giving him the advice or he's rejecting the advice. So understand your adversary. I could have played another hour. Another hour sound bites. I'll just do one tweet to, to hit this point. Susan Crystal, Trump calling the shooters monsters implies mass killers are a mysterious non-human force we can't try to control with legislative remedies as mundane as banning assault weapon sales, similar to this calling gang members animals in May 2018. So calling the shooters, rightly monsters, was criticized. It didn't matter what he does. It never matters what he does. It just doesn't matter. He will always be wrong. They just hate him. It is beyond anything I've ever seen. The left tries to align this with, hey, you guys hated Obama. Not like this. I mean, not like this. It wasn't everything he did. Sure, there were sects that were, but not the media, the whole Democratic establishment, every progressive. The man could hand you a million dollars of his own money. He could turn Democrat. He could fucking do anything you want. Every policy you ever wanted. You wouldn't be happy. How do I know? Sassy Canuck chick. She's a Canadian, but this is pretty much what it comes down to. 
Dear white American dudes, if I see you carrying an assault weapon in public, I'm calling the cops. You don't need one to get coffee, go to the mall, walk your dog, etc. Your bullshit privilege doesn't mean I and my child should feel unsafe. Hugs and kisses. Go fuck yourself. It's beyond party. For progressives, you're white, you're bad. These liberal progressive white people are the ones leading the charge. Not black people, white people. When every I could I could read you a thousand Dana Loesch tweets instantly at the point of every fucking crazy dude taking a gun to people. They attack her. I'll just read you this one. These are journalists. Joe Scarborough. You have a lot of nerve in signing violence against my wife and me in the NRA TV ad, looking to camera after rolling one inflammatory clip after another, and then ominously telling us, your time is running out, seriously. You're shameless. Dana Loesch. Another verified account calling me a murderer. The death threats you are all are helping to cite are just awesome. Good job pretending to denounce violence with your behavior. Dana Loesch. This is a beautiful lie. A shameful lie, Joe. And you have a lot of nerve with this malicious and misrepresentation. It was literally an ad that featured a countdown to a special on media bias. Your NRA TV ad incite violence. Even NRA board members were offended by the ad. That's one reason the dangerous scam was shut down. Those ads were intend- intended to inflame violence and intimidate those not walking in lockstep with NRA, he said. Dana Loesch. You mean the ad where actual footage of Antifa violence played while I condemned it is a VO? More malicious representation, Joe. I'm not going to comment on an ongoing fight between two entities that had nothing to do with me. Then Mika comes in. Dana, you threaten us. Please leave us alone. I repeat, leave us alone. We ask peacefully for no one to threats for you or anything else. Please leave us alone. Hi, Mika. No, I didn't. And it's disingenuous to represent an ad that literally was about a program launched to such a malicious level. You tweeted to me, not me to you. God bless. She replied, please stop. I find your greedy, heartless, sick, and deranged platform to be revolting. But more importantly, we'll never forget the way you threatened us. Please leave us alone. Since you keep tweeting me, again, I'll say that it's incredibly disingenuous to make an ad that was about a program launch into something so malicious. It wasn't about you, Mika. I don't find you revolting. Just wrong here. God bless. Once again, leave us alone. You went to him after my husband. For the third time since you keep tweeting me. I said again, leave me alone. All because she represents the NRA. Now, let's get something straight. The NRA doesn't issue weapons, sell weapons, or do anything with weapons. They support the Second Amendment. I'm a member of the NRA. But every gun... Crime that happens, the left overreaches and they blame the 10 million people that are NRA members. I could honestly tweet to PPFA and say, You murdered a thousand people today. A thousand a day. Abortions and morning after pills, a thousand a day. They literally kill people. But if you do that in our media, Twitter blocks you or suspends you, makes you remove it. You can lose your job. And this is an organization that literally kills humans. Humans. And both of those nut jobs donate to PPFA. So, what the fuck? Then you have this, near a tandem. 
After El Paso, now Dayton, and the myriad mass shootings and thousands of gun deaths, Republican intransience on guns is a clear and present danger of the country. Vote anyone in. The NRA pocket out. Instantly, the left, the DNC, the DCCC, this nut job tandem, they all used it for fundraising. Then you have KT, a resistance member. Funny seeing mega idiots praying about the El Paso Walmart shooting like, okay, pray all you want, but this is literally your fault for voting for people who favor the NRA over allies of innocent people. Before you comment on this, try looking up stats on gun violence in countries in which comprehensive gun laws and even gun bans. Also, stricter gun laws would directly impact NRA members. Any candidate who are in any way funded by the NRA are unlikely to pass stricter gun laws. Additionally, to anyone saying that the individual who did this was mentally ill, do you think the same thing about non-white criminals? If so, I guess all the immigrants you claim are criminals can't just be fixed by either by better mental health care, too. So no need for a wall, right? Somebody just said don't. Just don't. Eric Spencer, how much is Trump paying you to get him reelected? That kind of logic is their logic. It's what they are. Adam Best, another Texas mass shooting, Sutherland Springs, Santa Fe, El Paso, Walmart. It's a goddamn tragedy people can't pray, learn, or shop without getting shot. Not surprising in a state where Governor Abbott begs people to buy guns and the GOP is more beholden to the NRA than voters. Cam Edwards, Gilroy, San Bernino, Isla Vista. You can say the same thing about the state with the best gun control laws in the nation. California. Then this wizard, Jamie Carter, fuck your thoughts and prayers, sums what this is all about and what it's always about politics for the left. It's not about those people. It's not even about guns. It's about power. Enough is enough. I'm so pissed that I have no words, so I'm going to re-up an old post. You mega better pray that liberals never gain control of the White House again, because we are going to pay you back so fucking hard for all this shit. Planned Parenthood's on every damn corner. We're going to repaint Air Force One pussy hat pink and fly it over your beloved Bible belt six days a week, tossing birth control, condoms, and atheist literature from the cockpit. We're going to tax your mega churches so bad Joel Alstein will need to get a job at Chick-fil-A. Speaking of Chick-fil-A, we're buying all those and giving them to any LGBT person you sick cult leaders torture with the conversion therapy. Have fun with the new menu, you bigoted fucks. Try the McPants or boiled chicken breast. You have to eat tin the clock in the closet with your mother. We're going to round up all your guns, melt them down, and turn them into a gargantuan mountain emblazoned with the faces of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. All parks will be renamed Rosa Parks ASAP. We're replacing Confederate statues with BLM leaders and immigrants. Every single public school will be renamed after a child that was kidnapped by this regime. And after we fumigate the White House, we'll repaint the whole thing rainbow. Yeah. That's what they want. That's what they want. Who's got more anger? Do you ever read a conservative write that? Write that. I mean, actually sit down and type that type of garbage. And do you ever, ever hear conservative, mega, whatever you want to call NRA members... Do this.
No, must be nice to have health care, bitch. Everybody else can't fall down and get taken care of. Get time off of work. Thanks to you, bitch. Murder turtle. Murder turtle. Murder turtle. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, man. Bitch. Thoughts and prayers. You don't give a fuck. So we don't give a fuck about you. This hoe thought he was really getting ready to be at home. After he heard his little funky ass show, the bitch don't nobody give a fuck. Fuck your thoughts and prayers, Mitch. Fuck you. Fuck your wife. Fuck everything you stand for. You don't get no peace. Chelsea, yes, please. Now some disturbing video to show you. A group of angry protesters showing up outside of Mitch McConnell's house in Kentucky this weekend. The Senate Majority Leader was reportedly inside, recovering from a broken shoulder when this happened. Murder turtle! Murder turtle! Mitch, we know you're home! you, your wife, everything you stand for. Hopefully some I thought it was some booty dolls in these. Yeah, you know somebody is. That's probably what it is. Just stab the in the heart, please. Yes, that is what she said. And Texas Congressman Joaquin Castro is coming under fire today for posting the names and employers of Trump donors in San Antonio to social media. The post accusing the people of, quote, fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanic immigrants as invaders. That seems like a dangerous thing to do, Greg. I believe so. But this is what happens when rhetoric is actually tied to actions. It, there's an old saying, a conservative thinks a liberal is wrong, but a leftist thinks a conservative is evil. So once you expand this target of demonization, if you aren't part of the resistance, then you are against the resistance. And that justifies any kind of this behavior. The Castro campaign, I mean, they are basically normalizing doxing and intimidation tactics. And what will they have blood on their hands? Uh, there are people that are going to do this to you and to you, to us at some point. Yeah. Because we will be demonized. Oh, I've, I've been there. And by the way, look, uh, we know that every major donor over $200, their names are published. In right. fact, I learned over the weekend all of Donald Trump's major supporters in Louisiana. Donald Trump has raised over $690,000, $100,000 compared to all of the Democrats. They've only raised less than 400000 mm -hmm. And so I'm reading this story, and all of a sudden, I read the names of all of the Donald Trump donors. Now, did I run the social media and say, yeah. hey, X, I don't, I'm not going to use your shipyard. Or, hey, why? Well, I'm not coming yeah. to your grocery store. No. This is a tactic that people are using in this, quote-unquote, hyper 
polar, polarized environment to sort of call people out. I, I, I think it's the wrong way to do it, but that's what's happened. There's one of the reasons, Jesse, that the Supreme Court has protected donations that, through the Citizens United uh, case, basically saying that you can donate anonymously so that you don't have to end up like this. People don't want to do that. If you, it's your right to donate to a campaign, but it might be your right to privacy as well if this is going to happen. Right. I guess we're for less transparency now because it's <laughs> no, safer. No. Uh, no, I mean, look, and they're doxing con uh, contributors to the president. And then on the other hand, they're saying, and by the way, disarm. Right. So they're inciting violence against an individual. And they say, you know what, don't be able to protect yourself when people show up outside your home like they did to Mitch McConnell. Imagine if MAGA hat wearing supporters surrounded Nancy's palace in San Francisco and chanted the things they chanted. Every single senator and congressman would be confronted by a media member and said, you have to condemn. You have to condemn this. Will you condemn? It would be all over the headlines. It would be all over the network news cycle. And this is being buried. And this is dangerous. And I think it's going to lead to violence because at some point, no, someone's going to come out with a weapon when not. someone trespasses and it, threatens it them not. in their house. What do you think about the protest at McConnell's house, Katie? Look, situations like that never tend to end well. People who have been doxxed have been killed as a result of the police going to the wrong house. Mm -hmm. So there are serious violent consequences for this. Mitch McConnell called the police. I hope that all the people who were chanting murder were interviewed and asked if they have intentions to and investigated to uh, for wanting to assassinate the majority leader uh, of the Senate. But these mob mentality shows of force of people showing up at people's private homes is nothing new. The left has been doing this for 20, 30 years. I think just now it's been amped up as they've been justified in doing it and people haven't condemned it as Donna has done, which is a good thing, but they think it's justified because if it's a white supremacist in the white, in the, in the house, then of course they're allowed to show up and call for their assassination. And it can be scary, Donna, right? I mean, oh my God. I mean, let me, let me just say this. I, I have protection uh, as a result of just, you know, giving my opinion. In, in the public sphere. Me too. But, but, but <laughs> you, a little, little different, probably. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's not easy uh, to live in this way, whether you're in a mansion or a palace or even just just walking around. This it's, is unacceptable behavior. But let me just say something about pro I, I, I used to lead protests in my youth. And the one thing, nonviolent protests, which is very important. And I counsel people how to do this to abide by the law, stay on the sidewalk, not throw, not use bullhorns and all this. We've seen protests now from Hong Kong to San Juan, Puerto Rico, where, you know, everyday citizens are out there protesting government action. But we should do it in a nonviolent way, because one of the things that separate us from the other civilized world, we have laws to protect mm -hmm. people to protest. But to go out in front of a, a person's house, it's just um, that uh, places like Media Matters. And there was another guy. I can't think of his name. It was Dan Pfeiffer. I'm not sure. These are these are people and groups who are saying that Fox News. But Fox you know, News. He was uh, communications director for President Obama. Yeah, and these are people that are saying Fox News is actually an, an engine of white supremacy. So what they're doing is they're painting a target on us. And I, I saw Joey Jones on Twitter basically saying that he's, you know, he's going to sit at his house and protect his family, and he's and he's going to hope that these kinds of deep, this expanding uh, uh, target of demonization doesn't end up sending somebody crazy to his house. But remember, journalists are always targeted, and we have to protect yeah. journalists. But as Joey's well. not, I mean, but <laughs> Joey's a guy at home. You Joey, know? And, jo and Joey knows how to protect himself. Yeah, I think he's got more Check guns. Check him out, than Joey Jones, indeed.
Democrats want Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to bring back lawmakers from their five-week summer recess for a vote on stalled gun legislation. Mitch McConnell needs to get off his ass and do something. That sentiment heard outside McConnell's Kentucky home where protesters gathered Monday night. Despite the inaction, a source close to McConnell says he's serious about considering gun legislation. Now, Jake, we're being told by sources right now that Republican leadership is not considering ending their recess and coming back to Capitol Hill because Mitch McConnell still feels that that universal background checks bill that Democrats have been calling for still does not have the support of the president or most Republicans in the Senate. Instead, they say they want to stay in touch with the White House about potential legislation they could get passed when they do return in the fall. Democrats are calling on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to bring lawmakers back to Washington to vote on new gun control measures. After protesters gathered outside his home this week. I don't know what he's waiting for. And I don't know what Republicans in the Senate are waiting for. They should be calling on Mitch McConnell to bring the Senate back to vote on this legislation today. I think uh, Mitch McConnell has to finally live up to his constitutional role. He is being called Massacre Mitch right now for a reason, because he literally is refusing to allow pieces of legislation to the floor, even though they have bipartisan support legislation that would actually start to reduce these dangers to our children, to our seniors. Unless Mitch McConnell likes that phrase, Massacre Mitch, he has got to bring the Senate back and bring this legislation to the floor. Far-left protesters at McConnell's home just stabbed the motherfucker in the heart. Short clip of the protest was posted by Twitter by Ben Goldie, a lifelong Kentuckian. In the video, one person says they hope someone uses a voodoo doll on McConnell. Another person in the video says they hope somebody just stabs a motherfucker in the heart. A woman is on Facebook Live outside of Senator McConnell's home in Louisville saying she hopes someone just stabbed the motherfucker in the heart. In the wake of the weekend shooting, the El Paso and Dayton, the left's narrative developed quickly, and one of the points being circulated was to blame McConnell for the attacks. One such example can be seen in tweets from George Takaki. Overheard, he's not just Moscow match, he's Massacre Mitch. Allow Senate votes on gun control now. Instantly on Twitter, Massacre Mitch can now be added to Moscow Mitch in the the Lib's latest narrative. Currently trending, Massacre Moscow Mitch. 2,700 or 1,000 tweets. Jake Koch, Cox. This hashtag, Massacre Moscow Mitch, is trending at the same time that a woman in Facebook Live recording protester out his house said to stab him in the fucking heart. WLKY, protesters are gathering outside of Senate Majority Leader's home. Local news start covering it. Everybody kept on reporting, hey, this lady's saying this. That video just kept going. Ryan Savander, keep in mind McConnell 77 is recovering from a broken shoulder that he's saying after he fell. McConnell fall sometime because he has a problem with one of his legs because he has polio as a child. This is the person far-left activists are harassing. Mascar, mas, massacre Moscow Mitch continue to trend. Big league politics. Here's a live stream. We know you're in there. Fuck you, murder turtle. How's that shoulder? Throttin' prayers, you bitch. And Twitter allowed it. The hashtag calling for violence against Mitch has gone viral. Trump 2020 Deputy Communication Director Matt Moking tweeted the screenshot that Massacre Moscow Mitch was highlighted by Twitter and trending with 2,300 tweets that turned into 28,000 by the least I saw, or last I saw. 
D.C. Examiner reporter Julio, Julio Roses observed the CNN contributor Wahid Ali, who praised the violent hashtag for restoring his faith in America, ironically made an appearance afterwards condemning political violence from white nationalists. According to the Mediaite, it appears that Ali deleted the violent, violent tweet after the quick, ha- quick backlash it received. Rose is followed by reminding his followers how real the threat of leftist protesters against conservatives can be. And just a reminder, a person said she hoped somebody would stab the motherfucker in the heart. The official Team Mitch account representing Mitch McConnell for the Senate tweeted footage of now infamous July 6th incident. As they wrote last night, an angry left-wing mob of Amy McGrath supporters stormed Senator McConnell's Louisville home, screaming obscenities and hoping someone would stab the motherfucker in the heart. The team Mitch counts all of followed by noting Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and liberal Twitter personalities are cheering on thousands of accounts calling for Senator McConnell to break his neck. In response, Twitter had switched the hashtag to say that Mitch McCa- Moscow Massacre hashtag with, with very different political implication is actually what's trending. The original tweets called to Massacre Moscow Mitch. John Levine. Oh, just another CNN contributor and New York Times contributing twit writer tweeting completely normal stuff. Deborah Messing. This. Yes. Violence against Dana Loesch. Deborah Messing celebrated the prospect of violence against Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and former NRA spokesman Dana Loesch. Messing has been vocal on Twitter following the two mass shootings which took the lives of dozens of people, reports the outlet. The Will and Grace star quickly found herself in hot water after she tweeted a response to a user's tweet that some called sick. Responding to a Twitter user that called for violence against McConnell and Loesch, Messing enthusiastically said, Yes, if I get killed in a mass shooting, please cremate me and throw my ashes into Mitch McConnell and Dana Loesch's eyes. While I'm still smoldering, read the original tweet, prompting Messing to reply, yes. But we don't have a violence problem on the left. Twitter then blocks account that shows lefty threats against Senator McConnell. Twitter is now acting like a dictatorship that allows itself to meddle into political campaigns of banned conservatives from exposing the violent left. So it should come as no surprise that the official campaign Twitter account for Mitch McConnell was suspended for sharing a video of violent threats being made against the senator. Multiple people on Twitter were also suspended for sharing that video, including the Daily Wire's Ryan Savandra. The video detailed the threats of the mob, stormed the senator's McConnell's Louisville home, screaming obscenities, stabbed the motherfucker in the heart. T. Mitch was asked to remove the video immediately in order to restore the account. Twitter spokesman told Breibart that the platform does not allow the sharing of violent threats on the platform, regardless of context. If that is the case, then why is former CNN contributor Reza Aslan allowed to call for Kellyanne Conway to be eradicated without retribution? Savander tweeted on August 7th that he was suspended for sharing the video, which Twitter allegedly wanted to remove for McConnell's safety. However, the account with McConnell's name on it was also suspended for the same video. Savander noted that there are multiple tweets on the platform that list where he lives. He also tweeted, do not be surprised if Twitter permanently bans me. Even though Savander was tweeting in a journalistic capacity, Twitter was not interested in looking at leftist threats towards elected officials as news. Rather, this was something to be covered up. Twitter CEO 
Jack Dorsey once tweeted, journalists serve the public on conversation best unless it's about news the left doesn't like. Of course, Dorsey also commented in another interview that Twitter can't afford to be neutral. House of Representative Communication Director Ben Goldie was also suspended for sharing the same video. Ben Goldie, Matt Whitlock, anybody that tweeted it got blocked. You must remove this. So how'd the media cover it? Politico. Twitter has locked Mitch McConnell's campaign account for posting a profanity-laced videos of protesters hurling threats towards his Kentucky home. Somebody said, pretty sure they weren't hurling threats at him and not the house itself, but A for effort on this. We know this was hard for you to parse and write. Another person, towards his Kentucky home, are you kidding me? Holy shit! Brian Seltzer. Six of the times, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered prayers to victims. Yes, resorted to the tired leftist talking point of trying to mock those who lend sympathy after a tragedy. It is an interesting position to take for an objective, unbiased, and totally not in the pocket for particular party journalists to take, Brian. The original mystique, oh, tater. It is customary in our culture to offer sympathy and emotion. I'm starting to believe that working at CNN is killing your soul. I always think that your NYC DC journal class can't get any more shameless and mentally depraved. But CNN always brings the bar down lower, and this is after you all invited on a white supremacist because of Orange Man Bad tweeting stupid Democratic talking points informs us what? That you're not really a journalist? Brian Seltzer. Nope. I'm all in favor of prayer, and I'm all in favor of reporting on what politicians do and don't do. Yes. All the friends respond, but clearly there exists an insinuation behind the trend, which is likely he's not doing anything. While all this is going on, Bill Maher, interrupted by pro-Trump protester on live show, makes sure he doesn't have a gun. Tom Arnold, this is still standing. This is Donald Trump Jr. He's holding the tail of a beautiful African elephant. He murdered it and she got up from a nap. Donald Trump Jr. is a real piece of garbage. Looking forward to the day I'm standing over him wearing my bullet belt, a safari khakis, my cartoon signs Daniel Boone buck knife in one hand, his teeny tiny tail in the other. That wasn't a threat. So says Twitter. And then Joe Con, Hocon, whatever the fuck, Castro posts names, employers of Trump donors. Democratic Texas Representative Yokon, Yokin, whatever the fuck, Castro on money, Monday tweeted the names of employers of 44 San Antonio residents who donated the federal maximum to President Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Castro's whose district includes much of San Antonio claimed the donors are fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanic immigrants as invaders. Castro's a twin brother of Democratic presidential candidate Julian Castro and chairs his presidential campaign. Literally everybody's name. Mary Barbett, retired. Austin H. Beck, A.H. Beck Foundation Company. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 44 people he dimed. Trump campaign communication director Tim McCarn is demanding Castro delete the post. Democrats want to talk about inciting violence, this naming of private citizens and their employers, reckless and irresponsible. He's endangering the safety of people he supposedly wants to represent. No one should be targeted for exercising their First Amendment right. 
Murtaugh added that the campaign reported Castro's tweet to Twitter for targeted harassment. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise was harshly critical of Representative Castro as well, warning the Democratic congressman, this isn't a game, it's dangerous, and lives are at stake. I know this firsthand. Nobody had to respond. They were just let to do whatever they want. Here's some pro, and then we'll go into who these people were briefly. As I've been sitting here listening to the show, I heard the tail end of Booker's thing, I heard most of the panel, and I I know this is a political show, but the level of rhetoric in the last 20 minutes, I hope someone else is bothered by it other than me. I mean, we, we've moved straight past any sympathy at all for the victim, straight past going into what caused this and trying to figure out who's to blame. If a member of this administration, who's someone on your panel, I couldn't see their faces, uh, called out today as a white national, if that person gets injured today, is the person on your panel responsible? I'm really, really disappointed at the level of rhetoric. Uh, my goodness gracious, so I'm you don't really accept, stunned you don't how accept, quickly we moved to I, politics I, this morning. You don't accept the fact that the president's rhetoric has been a contributing factor at all. I, I blame the people who pulled the trigger, Chuck. Goodness gracious, are you really, is someone really blaming the president? Why aren't we trying to figure out a way to bring the nation together this morning? Well, that's my question saying, for you. you know what? what is the president it's, it's doing? It's the president's fault. But in, in, in fairness, um, Mr. Mr. Mulvaney, the president has spent the last month on Twitter stoking racial resentment. Let's talk about background checks, something we've worked on in this administration. Th- those are the conversations to have, not giving Cory Booker a chance to run for president this morning by blaming Donald Trump. Not whether or not it gives one party or another a leg up in the next election. It's not about whether there's a leg up in the next election. I think there's this no, concern. No, Chuck, that's what, that's, that's what the entire Cory Booker interview was uh, about. Look, I, He's I, looking... I, I, look, I don't want to get into his motivation. I'm just... There is right. other concerns here... beyond politics, and that is that this seems to be the president uses dehumanizing rhetoric. I just can't believe we're immediately today, five hours after the shooting, moving to these these types of discussions. And now the FBI says the Dayton, Ohio gunman was obsessed with mass shootings and wanted to commit one. National correspondent Dean Reynolds leads off our coverage tonight. The investigation of the Sunday morning massacre has given authorities the picture of a dangerous young man with a lust for bloodshed. Materials reviewed thus far revealed that the individual had a history of obsession with violent ideations to include mass shootings and had expressed a desire to commit a mass shooting. She now believes there were red flags. She says he showed her video of a mass shooting on their first date, later took her to a gun range and performed with an extreme heavy metal band known for sexually violent lyrics. So far, police have not determined a clear motive for the massacre, but... We have uncovered evidence throughout the course of our investigation that the shooter was exploring violent ideologies. As authorities search for a motive, the FBI now investigating evidence they say shows Connor Betts was exploring violent ideologies. The individual had a history of obsession with violent ideations to include mass shootings and had expressed a desire to commit a mass shooting. Just this past May, Adelia Johnson, who says she was dating Betts, broke it off after what she calls several red flags. He talked about like mass shootings and world tragedies like I talk about television shows. ABC News has also learned of a now-deleted Twitter account believed to be linked to Betts, describing himself as an anime fan, a metalhead. 
Well, Jim, we now know of a, obviously of a Twitter account that was suspended by that social media uh, platform on Sunday. This would have been uh, obviously after the shooting here, and that particular account does contain uh, both anti-police and pro-antifa posts, as well as extreme left-wing uh, either posts or, or retweets. However, we should point out uh, that police have not uh, uh, acknowledged that at this point. They have said that they're considering everything right now as part of this investigation. Uh, but we also are hearing from multiple uh, fellow former high school uh, students that, that, that went to school with the gunman, uh, and they say that this uh, killer kept both a kill list and a rape list. However, police there are also saying that at this point, uh, investigators are really reluctant to, to, to assume that anything from at least 10 years ago uh, would have played a role potentially in this investigation here, or at least played a role as a possible motive here. And then back to that Twitter account, it's really important to point out as well uh, that uh, police here on the ground have not specifically said that they are considering uh, this as, uh, or at least they haven't found anything that would point to this as being either racially or politically motivated, which would obviously be a very significant difference from what's happening right now about 50 miles away where you are in El Paso. When we are now trying to uh, ascribe the motives uh, of a political candidate or an office holder on someone who conducted an outrageous act of terror. We're also not talking about the uh, the extreme leftist who was the shooter in the Dayton shooting. And so we've got to well, get to the point what the president is talking Mark, about yesterday. We, we led our broadcast with, with the, the motivations of the Dayton shooter. In fact, we, we spent a s several minutes on that. But the fact is, if you look at the crime, the DOJ's statistics, the Anti-Defamation League's statistics, of the 50 acts of domestic terrorism in the last couple of years, 39 of them driven by white men. That last soundbite was a CNN contributor, reporter, who literally broke that this Dayton dude was a fucking liberal, but then downplays it because he's on CNN. And he has to do that. Net silent Dayton shooter alleged Twitter account supported Antifa violence Elizabeth Warren. Heavy did a huge breakdown of the Twitter account that was suspended shortly afterwards. He suspected identified as a leftist atheist who wanted socialism, and he said he'd vote for Elizabeth Warren. In his tweets, he supported Antifa using violence against white supremacists and right-wingers, even calling the Antifa terrorist who attacked an ICE facility in Tacoma, Washington, a martyr. On Charlottesville, he alleged tweeted, kill every fascist. Photos also show him with a satanic tattoo, and he tweeted, hail Satan. Ryan Savander, Heavy.com. I was going to read the whole article, but you don't need it. It's pretty much there. His account promoted Bernie Sanders, Warren, Antifa, leftism, socialism, Satan, strong ice, anti-ice rhetoric. He called the terrorist to attack the ice facility in Tacoma a martyr. He's a leftist. Shoot alleged account also had several anti-ice tweets and supported AOC concentration camp rhetoric. He also ironically rallied against guns in America and the Parkland shooting while going on to commit his own killing rampage. Heavy.com stated they confirmed it was his account by cross-matching selfies posted on her Twitter account, Facebook. It's him, totally. Yet none of the networks mentioned these things on Monday morning broadcasts, which spent extensive time on on the two mass shootings. While well, they all mentioned their anti-immigrant screed posted online by the alleged El Paso shooter and linked it to Donald Trump, none of the networks dug into the political leanings of the Daytona uh, Dayton shooter. On NBC Today, Craig Melvin mentioned the mayor of Dayton would hold press conference in a few hours reveal what they've learned about the shooter's motive. ABC was even less interested, not even addressing motive, until the second report by Eva Pilgrim, who noted authorities have 
have searched the gunman's house, but at this point, they have not released any type of motive. CBS also noted no motive, but suggested it might be racial. Six of the nine people killed here were black. While it is the media's responsibility to share unverified information responsibly, they've also shown they don't care about acting ethically or responsibly when it comes to these tragedies. The reality is, they will instantly search if the person's anti-their world. But they won't search when we find out the dude's a lib. They never search. Remember, when a guy with a fucking assassination list literally was found, it turned to Trump's rhetoric instantly. Instantly. They don't cover it. John Hayward sums it up pretty well about the Democrats. Democrats are going to polarize a huge number of people in Trump's direction by blaming one shooter on him while shrieking that the other politics are completely irrelevant. Their media no long their media no longer has the level of control over information needed to make that work. Even without the second shooter, Dems would have struggled to memory hole the inconvenient parts of the first shooter's ideology. And they once again underestimate how repulsed most people are by the totalitarian politicization of hideous crimes. The left always goes for the sugar rush, the instant high of online swarming and righteous pontificating the unleashing of their wrath against the Americans they hate so very, very much. They never learn that the rush quickly fades as the tide of reason flows back in. When people hear loud demands that they must submit and obey because they are somehow linked to murderous criminals, somehow responsible for their bloody lunacy, they correctly realize the people making those demands are a serious threat to their freedom. The Democrats don't realize it yet. But every one of their candidates who instantly, reflexively, thoughtlessly tried blaming half of America for a mass murder over the weekend effectively ended their presidential campaign. None of them is remotely electable now. People will remember for a long time that these totalitarian Democrats instantly tried to exploit a horrible crime for political gain, and their instantaneous reflex was to treat everyone who disagrees with them as accomplices to murder. People also tend to think the crowd that spent the last three years role-playing as the resistance, yelping about fighting Nazis by any means necessary, and pretending the president is a Russian spy, bear much responsibility for any atmosphere of tension that exists. We'll soon move into the aftermath, where everyone realizes none of the policies heatedly demanded by Democrats would have made much difference on this weekend's horrors. The stain of their totalitarianism will remain long after the moment fizzles. End. He's right. More reporting shows. An inconvenient truth, El Paso shooter was an eco-extremist, loved Lorax. But the media didn't check. They got to go after Trump. Christopher Cuomo. AR style is an attempt to capture the entire group of long guns. And you know that. What do you need a weapon like that for? When do you require the ability to spray dozens of bullets hunting or in sport? And then they handed him the keys to CNN. And he did a show trial. 
Certainly. I mean, this has been an issue for a long time where uh, the politics in our, rep- in our politically representative system has been out of touch and undemocratic with what the will of the people is. If this went up for a national vote tomorrow, all of these things would pass, right? The NRA would be very, very upset. But the reality is, because of the way our political system works, it's not a true democracy, it doesn't really matter that the vast majority of Americans want many things that are considered common sense steps. You know, go back to the president's comments, though, because I, I do think there's a, you know, it's, it's very clear, it's very obvious. The Republicans are the ones obstructing uh, legislation to change the way guns operate in our country. We know that. We can't. We don't need to pretend this is some both sides issue, right? He acknowledged the white supremacist terror crisis we're dealing with. He met the lowest bar. He named it what it was. He called it racist. He did not, as the congressman notes, involve any introspection of the fact that this racist manifesto, the president's words, included the president's words, things like invasion. But on the gun crisis issue, I do think that th- there was a refusal to name to name what it was. The reality is there is one thing that is different in the United States of America, and it is our guns. It is the, and it is the availability of them. And sure, would banning one type of gun get rid of the complete possibility of someone committing an act of terror? Of course not. But the hope would be that we would get together to take the most steps possible to make it as difficult as possible for anyone uh, to commit an act like this. It was mentioned earlier, Tommy guns and machine guns. Well, guess what? Those things are illegal now, and people can't walk into places and use Despite 90% of Republicans supporting them, I, I don't know if this moment is, is different. Let's hope so, but I, I, I don't know. If Sandy Hook wasn't different and Parkland wasn't different, why should we believe that this will be different? But what he also did before Parkland is he rolled back an Obama-era regulation specifically aimed at keeping guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. It would mandate that certain information from the Social Security Department had to go out about people that were trying to buy guns to indicate if they were getting help for mental health issues. And his administration chose to take that away. Yeah, you know, I guess this speech, in some ways, is sort of a diversionary uh, tactic for this president. He certainly doesn't want to talk about the ways in which uh, he, in some ways, through his own speech, uh, has, uh, I think, in some ways, if you're a white supremacist, you find the president's words uh, possibly inspirational, possibly uh, comforting. I think his speech has been so horrific over these past four years as he's running for president uh, and then as president. And this is a big problem, I think, that the Republicans don't want to talk about, that this president obviously wants to talk about. They want to talk about everything else. It's a national embarrassment. I mean, who cares how strong our economy is or how strong our military is if Americans are killing Americans like this over and over and over again, Nia? This is a a unique problem uh, to this uh, time in American history where you have this proliferation of guns. If you look at John Cornyn's uh, Twitter feed, for instance, some of the language in his Twitter feed mirrors some of the language uh, in in that manifesto uh, from the the killer in in El Paso. So that is problematic. You know, David Urban has a, a lot to say about Congress and what Congress needs to do. I wonder if he has any advice for what the president should do in terms of of his language, talking about Mexicans uh, as killers, talking about Mexicans uh, as rapists, talking about Baltimore, uh, talking about African countries, uh, you know, just disparaging. Well, Jacqueline, listen, we know what happens in this conversation. Um, You talk about, let's say, assault weapons ban. It quickly gets caught up in what does that mean? And is it sort of semi-automatic rifles? There's so many of them. Is it about caliber? There's such a range. Is it about capacity? Well, you could just rechange. There are always arguments. And yes, the NRA boogeyman is always out there, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be that there's just 
fundamentally what Brian just said. People don't vote on this issue the way they say they feel about this issue. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, there are tons of politicians out there that take millions of dollars from the NRA, one being Mitch McConnell, who has a bill on his desk right now that can implement background checks for all gun sales, and he's not passing it. Why? Because the NRA is giving him millions of dollars to make sure that doesn't happen so they continue to make money. You know, there's been five over 500 shootings since the one at my high school last year, and nothing has changed on a national level. Although something was passed at the House, nothing has been implemented into law because of people in the Senate that just put their dollars over human lives. Uh, and it's incredibly uh, defeating, but at the same time, it reinvokes the desire to speak out and loudly. Uh, and unfortunately, El Paso and Dayton have joined that long list uh, that we know um, how it feels to be a part of. Uh, and it's just terrible. And I, I just, I'm excited that people are starting this conversation again, um, but I hope it doesn't turn into the cycle that it always has. Well, look, you got an election coming up, and if your generation feels differently about it, you know, this is your chance. We know the last two generations we've had, the baby boomers haven't been the biggest demographic at the polls. Younger generations are starting mm-hmm. to make their mark. If this issue matters, we'll see it reflected at the polls, and then you'll see how things change. For one, we can't continue to be this stupid. It just defies common sense. We have a clear consensus among Americans of wanting better and more protection. Second, we were in El Paso this week, right? I felt something different there. This country rejects hate. And the idea of white nationalists preying on a certain part of us is unacceptable. And I believe your revulsion will force lawmakers to treat people like them as the terrorists they are. People point to the 94 assault weapons ban as a model. But is it really? Barely found political consensus. It was like 216 to 214. And to be honest, it really was easily run around by manufacturers. So I would argue we've never really taken this on. And yet, change is obvious. What good argument did you hear tonight for why all gun sales should not be checked and that that data really shouldn't be shared with relevant agencies? These fears of some mystery database where they'll know what you have, and then when you have to go against the government someday, you'll be unprepared, ill-equipped. Come on. A hundred round drums are no more necessary than bump stocks, and even this president found his way to banning those. The rules that state already that you have certain requirements to meet if you want a handgun, concealed, open carry permits, those questions, the affidavits, those sales, if you just put those in place with every sale, you'd make a real difference in vetting who gets weapons and why. And we already have the infrastructure for it. And yes, letting families flag authorities about a loved one who seems determined to hurt themselves or others and remove their access to weapons, not forever, not in every case, that would help too. And it would be nice to track shootings federally. It'd be nice to know what's happening and where and by whom. And the reasons for doing none of these things are hollow at best and toxic in the main. If lawmakers don't like one or some, they do nothing. They use holistic to blow a hole in the idea of a solution. Right now, there's a bill on Senator McConnell's desk. He won't even allow it to be debated. Now, you have to wonder, if it had been migrants or Muslim extremists who were doing these mass shootings, you think he would treat it the same way? 
Do you think this president would? We also invited the National Rifle Association, the NRA, to be part of tonight's conversation. They declined. They sent a totally disingenuous statement that they're open to honest discussion, but not this spectacle. That's what you call this, a spectacle? I guess they want to do their talking with propaganda ads and millions in lobbying. Besides, let's be honest, the gun lobby is not going to be the answer. And that shouldn't be expected any more than we expected big tobacco to help us expose the ills of smoking. Everything that is wrong with our media is in that soundbite. The NRA, normal Americans, you're fucking evil. Gun owners, you're fucking evil. We must take away all guns. But compared to the last one where it was a witch trial, they fucked up and let a gun supporter in. And listen how they disregard this person. Because they, and it's a woman, had an opposing view. Brady campaign. It's good to have you back. Yeah. Nice to meet you. It's good to see Thank you, again, Chief. Um, Chief, let me give you a question right from the audience to start. Uh, Teresa Einacker, uh, thank you very much for being here. What's thank your you. question for the thank Chief? Thank you. I'm Teresa, and I am a volunteer with the Coalition of New Jersey Firearm Owners. So I am a proud female firearm owner, and I just want to say that I'm a, fire own, a firearm owner, and I, I care too. So I think there's a little bit of uh, a misunderstanding that we don't care, um, but we do. And actually, we're against violence, all violence, not just gun violence. So uh, my question is, do you believe a woman has a right to choose whether or not to defend her own body? and in the manner she chooses, and that the government should not interfere with that decision. Well, that's a little off uh, topic here, but um, I do believe in a woman's right to choose. Now, when you get into the area about any means she chooses, I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, there are laws. If you're talking about deadly force, for an example, you carry a gun or whatever, there are only certain circumstances under which you can actually resort to deadly force. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so it's important as a gun owner, and that goes for any gun owner, to understand the laws of that particular state so that they don't wind up doing something that could actually um, cause them some problems down the road. But certainly, uh, if you're assaulted or whatever, you have a right to defend yourself. But when you talk about deadly force, that's a little different. You know, it's interesting. There's a transitive property involved, right? Uh, you're playing on what we see with reproductive rights. And in each case, though, People who are making these impassioned, impassioned arguments, what's the concern? The concern is the well-being of the person who winds up being the um, recipient of the act, right? When you're talking about reproductive rights, which obviously isn't what we're talking about tonight, but still important, it's, well, what about the fetus? Or what about the baby? When is it a person, right? You're thinking about, well, who is going to be... Uh, impacted by the decision that's made. Well, that's the same thing here, is that I have a right to own a gun. I do own a gun. But my right has restrictions on it, Chief, exactly. right? And when we start talking about, well, what is the impact of my right on the rest of society, that's where you get into even what's Scalia. And you have to say it that way. May he rest in peace. He was a genius jurist. Before that case, we didn't have an individual right read into the Second Amendment. And the, the difference is huge. The Second Amendment used to be about what the state could make you do. That's where it came from. You have to have the arm. It has to be um, able to be used, and you have to know how to use it so that when you come to work in Washington's army, you know what the hell you're doing so it doesn't have to spend so much time and so much money training you up and equipping you. Now it's different. It's about what you as an individual are empowered to do. So as a reality, once you get past all that legal... It's a little off topic. 
Because the topic is, take guns. NRA's evil. Planned Parenthood just gives you fucking everything you need as a woman. And if you don't support them, you're fucking evil. It's everything wrong with our society. The media is so all in. We'll end this segment because I don't even want to talk about it. I covered it, but it just fucking angers me. I mean, uh, Sean in Oregon sent me a good article, and it was a last minute. Let me see. Where the hell did I put it? Hold on a second, bud. It's NBC News. They got a liberal vet. Who the fuck is his name? Michael E. Diamond, U.S. veteran. He's just a vet. Dayton Shooter's gun is the reason he killed 9 in 30 seconds, and gun makers know it. Gun manufacturers are aware they have a dangerous product, and it's no secret their marketing targets the kind of people who want to look and feel powerful. In this, this article breaks down that it's made for mass killing. You can rapidly fire. Blah, 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 fucking blah. That may be true, but I'll tell you this. I can shoot my wife's 9mm and put out more rounds than I could with my AR more effectively. In a rapid fire. As a unskilled marksman. More. Easier. Quicker. Extended magazine. Rapid reload of magazines. 16 rounds. In 30 seconds he was killed, he killed 9 people. Any weapon on the planet that could have happened. Any weapon. Other than a hunting rifle. Single action. It's a semi- automatic weapon you pull the trigger a bullet comes out that's a pistol that's almost every type of fucking rifle there is nowadays shotguns are made that way but the lack of knowledge about weapons people read that and go oh those evil gun manufacturers because remember it's just not you the gun owner anymore it's the company we're going after the people that finance the company these people don't want you to have weapons and it's not because they're scared of weapons they want to control you they want to take weapons away and force their socialist bullshit down your neck what would make you think otherwise folks they want a totalitarian society. They do it on social media. They do it on the media. Leftism doesn't want opposing views, opposing opinions, or any compromise. Go back to that lady. She's a rando, but she's a progressive. They want payback on you. They will get the next person and you will see reparations. You will see catch and release. You will see these people forced into your town. Not because they want to get back at you because you're anti-immigrant. They want to take over your state. And if they get them in there, get them legal status, they'll vote for you. It's just a big voting scheme. It's all about power for the left. But inherently, they know nothing about guns. Nothing. They don't even know who sells guns. So as we go out to our hate tweets, here's Stephanie Rule. Yeah. Walmart's one of the biggest sellers of AR weapons. Walmart doesn't sell AR weapons. 
spent their entire existence telling people that even the smallest piece of gun reform is going to lead to confiscation for two reasons. One, they want to keep the market open to help the gun industry sell more guns. And two, they want to increase their revenues and their dues and continue to buy Wayne LaPierre really expensive suits, I guess. Okay. So they're not concerned about keeping us safe. That much is clear. Wayne LaPierre and his suits don't matter to big business. We know that government is powerful. Yes. But business is as well. Let's Tom Brokaw said it yeah. earlier. Walmart is America. Yes. Walmart is the largest employer in the United States, one of the largest sellers of assault-style weapons. Could we see big business take action? After the shooting in Parkland, we saw Dick Sporting Goods say, we are not going to sell these type of weapons anymore. We know it hurt their bottom line, but they stood by it. Listen, Walmart has such an important role to play here, and I think they can do three different things. One, I think they can announce we're going to stop selling guns until we raise the standard of gun ownership in America. Well, they have raised the, the age. To, to the age, yes. to 21. Two... Uh, they are too. They can say we're going to stop giving dollars to lawmakers who are backed by the NRA. That's going to be massive. And three, we're going to start investing in the communities that we serve, and we're going to start funding gun buybacks to get some of those guns off the street. Walmart is such a major player; they're so large that if they really decided to lean into this issue, we could see some real change. We should all call on Walmart to do that. Lean into safety. I think that's Lean what you're calling safety, for. safety, indeed. Igor, thank you so much for thank joining you. me and sharing your insights. Coming up. Hey, tweet of the day! Just for the sake of time, and I don't mean to cut you off here. The question was, what did the president sure. say about his attacks against those leaders of color, and did any of the faith leaders raise concerns about that? I don't remember him saying anything about leader, uh, colored leaders, uh, uh, leaders that are colored. Uh, there were some things discussed, uh, said, but I don't remember him referring to leaders of color. Did anybody there raise concerns about what he has been saying lately about uh, people like Elijah Cummings or anyone? So the president tweeted today that he was looking forward to his meeting with wonderful inner city pastors. Any concern for you that the president used this meeting with black leaders to insulate himself from that criticism? So, Pastor, you've said some controversial things before. In 2012, you equated President Obama's support of same-sex marriage to supporting child molestation. You later walked that back. But that in itself is an outrageous statement. Why should anyone take you seriously? I've never said, I've never said that. You know, I know it's hard for you. You think it's hard to believe that Trump is racist. But he's repeatedly used racially charged language. He consistently attacks black and brown elected leaders. So why is that hard to believe, Pastor? So as a, as a man of faith, as a Christian, you're saying he attacks anyone. Um, it sounds like you're condoning attacks. Is that Christianly or, or godly? I'm just stating a statement of fact. I'm not condoning anything. I'm stating a statement of fact. President Trump does not pick the people he attacks because of color. He attacks anybody he feels needed. And is that okay with you? I appreciate your, appreciate your giving me your biography. I do, but in this, for the sake of time, because I don't have a lot of time with you. I have a lot of show. What does that have to do with Now, once again, staying on our theme of left hate. 
just their hate. They they try to cloak their hate by saying why nationalism is increasing and blah blah fucking blah blah blah. That was a pastor. Listen, he was black, and that's Don Lemon on CNN trying to make him a racist. Tweets on it. Don Lemon tries his best to bait this man and force him to call Trump a racist. When that doesn't work, Don attacks him personally. When that doesn't work, he attacks his Christian faith. Incredible. Don Lemon is a clown. He's an embarrassment and stain on journalism. This is painful to watch. Don Lemon did everything he could to take away attention from poor inner city kids. Each time Pastor tried to talk about the helping poor people, he was cut off. Shame on CNN for this journalism of hatred. Your brand is soiled. Sarah Rio, another journalism. White folks, you know that your best Indian or Latinx or black friend know you're a racist. They don't tell you, but they tell each other and everyone else. Know how to tell your boss they are awesome to their face, but over beers of friends you tell the truth. Same, same. Soledad O'Brien, laugh out loud. You had a... If you have to have a handful of black people at your rally hold up t-shirts to say you're not racist, chances are overwhelming that you're racist. CNN, no chance to send her back so far on Trump rally. That's all they covered for the rallies. Do you not see the trend? It's election season once again. We must demean everybody who doesn't think like us. It's what the left does. It's all they have. Jeremy Boring, Dems, everyone who disagrees with us is responsible for mass murder and racism, will be doxxed and shamed by our politicians and media, shouldn't be allowed to speak on platforms, must be confronted at work, home, and in public, must be disarmed, and must pay for our agenda. Dear everyone, that isn't a Democrat. You're wrong about everything. We will dox you if you give money to our opponents. And you're a racist. Vote Democrat. Yours, Democrats. That's their plan. And if you're not paying attention to it, shame the fuck on you. I'd rather have the devil I know in Trump than to have these fucking fascists. They call everyone fascist while they act like a fascist. Washington Post adding to it. Adds whopping 15 corrections to article. What was the article? Black families once lived off their southern farmland. Their descendants are struggling to hold on to it. Everybody's racist. Then Trump said this about Baltimore. Yeah, we're not done with that. He said that they had more murders per year than in Afghanistan. Eric Spencer, Baltimore homicide rates, 51.3 per 100,000. Afghanistan, 6 per 100,000. I think the bigger story here is that left thinks 6 is bigger than 51.3. Zach Ford, think progress. Trump believes the homicide rate in Baltimore is higher than in all of Afghanistan. How did Google make so much money if they're barring Zach from using it? Later on, he has to admit Trump was right. Then, after Dems praise Al Sharpton, WAPO publishes devastating piece detailing his ugly past and broke it all down. Nobody read it, nor retweeted it. But my favorite Baltimore thing was that it 
little liberal fucking reporter went into Baltimore to get a great piece to bash Trump. The problem is he ran into a bunch of people who live there who are black who'd agreed with Trump. Good morning. So how long have you been living here? West Baltimore? Mm -hmm. My whole life. Okay. Gotcha. Born and raised, and I'm now 35. Okay. So I've never lived east. I just have friends and family who live east. Um, Times has just changed over the years. East Baltimore used to be the place where we wouldn't go. Now it's West Baltimore, but I live there, unfortunately. So, um, see you later, buddy. That's just how things is. It's just sad, man. Like, every day I'm crying inside, man, because I wake up and I'm still here, man. You know? It used to be okay, but not. No, it's not now. It's not. You can't go home without feeling like a target, or you don't know if somebody's going to run in your house. You're at work, you can be shot. You can go to church, the movies. I mean, it's happening all over the world. It's just the dynamics has changed so much. Um, you just scared to walk anywhere. I mean, I barely party anymore. I don't want to hang out past a certain time anymore. It's just like the violence is is that bad. There are cameras around here. What people don't care. I've seen this guy rob right here in front of me. A customer went out of the door. And this guy... He just opened the door for him and put a gun on his head. And he robbed him right in his car. And that happens all the time here? Yeah, of course, it's normal. Baltimore City is definitely murder land. Definitely murder land. Murder land. Yes. It's a strong statement. Yes, murder land. It's contracts out here for less than nothing to kill somebody for $100. The statement is definitely true. I got my gun permit eight years ago. Um, and you really have to feel some type of way that you have to be armed to live in Baltimore City. Granted, mine is legal. <laughs> it's, it's just sad that it's come to this. I feel as though nobody cares about this section of the community. These kinds of things don't happen in other areas, such as Canton, Fells, they don't happen. But in these areas where nobody cares, where we can make the loudest complaints that we can possibly make and still not get any resolution, I feel that they don't care about the area here. They're, they're not concerned about us. If you love Baltimore, like so many people on Twitter, I've seen pictures of Inner Harbor. Baltimore is not just Inner Harbor. Baltimore is everything you see around you. It's the people. It's the culture. Uh, but it's also the blight. It's also the corruption. It's also... And, you know, it, it's over and over and over of the same people getting elected, promising to do the next thing, but it never happens. Elijah Cummins, he's been there for 25 years. 25 years. He allocated $4.6 billion for illegal immigrants, but he hasn't donated any money right for North Avenue, Gold Street, West Bruce Baltimore. Street, West Baltimore. Where's he been Baltimore. at? It's drugs infested. It's homeless people right there in, in West Baltimore, two blocks from his district. He don't come there every day. He does. I haven't seen Elijah Cummins in 10 years right up and down North Avenue. The last time he's been there was when the riots from Freddie Gray. People who's trying to do things to implement things, to make a change, and then you have people who's all talk. Right now, to me, everything is talk. I'm not seeing anything into motion far as getting these guns off the street, 
getting these kids who's out here like it's summertime no summer camps no basketball leagues nothing for these kids to do so they don't have anything to do but run around baltimore city and cause trouble how do you feel about the president's comments i'm me personally i i want him to say things like that because it's true there's been a lot in the news lately about baltimore the president's been tweeting some folks in congress have been saying a lot about it mm -hmm. uh what do you think about the coverage what do you what do you think about what's being said uh, it's, it's sad, but it's true. Do you think the president was right or wrong to highlight it? Well, I, I, I don't want to make a comment on the president, but I mean, he has a point. Because crime is very high, and something has to be done. So when Trump says no human being would want to live That's there... That's true. I moved. I moved out of there. I moved out of there. I can take you right now where there's no running water right now in a whole block. Oh, Ten minutes away from Elijah Cummins' house. Well, with President Trump, I'm still Team Obama. With that being said, um, he's a powerful man, and I believe he can make a lot of changes happen. As far as Trump, I don't have no problems with the man. I, I, I really respect him as a man because he, 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 he up front. He truthful, you know what I mean? And, uh... It's just sad, man. They want to keep trying to say he erases, he erases, he erases. That's not the problem, you know, especially with black people, because that's, I don't see white men killing my own kind, you know what I mean? He attacks Nancy Pelosi, he attacks Chuck Schumer, he attacks other whites, but he never said that their districts or their states are places that no human being wants to live. The fact of the matter is, Elijah Cummins District is the most well-educated and middle-class aspiring district of blacks in this country. And he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Elijah Cummins is a respected and well-regarded member of Congress. You go back to New York. Get that to New York. You ain't getting up in Baltimore. I ain't no bitch up hey, You a phony. I pray for my city every day. I pray for myself, my family, my friends. Because um, it can be a better Baltimore. Right now, I wouldn't even visit here if I didn't live here. But when is it going to stop? When is somebody going to get a hold of what's going on in this city? President Trump brought attention to the entire nation about some of the problems going on here in Baltimore. So instead of people doing a lot of talking and complaining and whining, I decided let's do something about it. Let's actually try to solve some of these problems. So I put out a tweet on Twitter and I said, I'm coming to Baltimore to help clean up trash. I don't care if it's me standing alone on the street corner. And I never expected that tweet to go viral. You know, I, I wanted to come down because I, I hate being on Twitter and complaining about it. I wanted to show that we can do something about it and calm down. A lot of people need to just come down from the suburbs and, and help and instead of, you know, thinking they know what's going on, they need to come down and see it for themselves, really. Too much of the city has been ignored. Uh, anything from trash to the homeless, um, you see it everywhere, and uh, people drive by instead of stopping and helping. So that's why I'm here to help. So how did you hear about it? How did I hear about yeah. it? 
Uh, well, I help with the homeless normally, but uh, I saw Scott's uh, message on Twitter saying he was coming out. He's put his actions where his mouth is, uh, and that's what we need. I never expected people to be here today, not only from West Baltimore and Maryland, but also Pennsylvania, Ohio, Texas, Florida, New Hampshire, Utah. The nation came together out of an act of love to help us today in this Baltimore cleanup. We've had, I want to say, 200 volunteers come out because we started at 8 a.m. and now it's uh, getting on, I think, 7 p.m., and it's been a steady flow, literally, throughout the entire day. We had to order three 30-yard, three-ton dumpsters. All three of them were packed to the brim. So my friend who's a contractor said, Scott, we probably picked up over 12 tons of trash today just in the short amount of time we've been here. I'm excited about the work that Scott and have come to do, even though I believe the city needs to get involved in our neighborhood when we make complaints as constituents here. We shouldn't have to have people come from other states to clean our communities where we're already asking for help from our city officials. I want to make it very clear, although we're here today on August 5th, this is not going to be the last time that you see us. We are working with locals, not only that live here, but in the community that saw us picking up trash. And we talked and listened to them. They're going to help us in the future as well. We love Baltimore! I've been threatened by guys at the gas station, like, oh, I take that gun off your head. You know, certain things like that, but I can pretty much handle it. So, to our tweets of the day. You think that would be one, but I got better ones. The intro to the Socialists of America conference, followed by a socialist, Elizabeth Warren, trying to talk to a Iowa farmer. And people think she, including my daughter, should be president? Right, right uh, quick point of privilege. Quick point um, of personal privilege. Yes. Um, guys, uh, first of all, James Jackson, Sacramento, he, him. I just want to say, can we please keep the chatter to a minimum? I'm one of the people who's very, very prone to sensory overload. There's a lot of whispering and chatter going on. It's making it very difficult for me to focus. Please, can we just, I know it's, we're all fresh and ready to go, but can we please just keep the chatter to a minimum? It's affecting my ability to focus. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. Okay, is there a speaker against name, point chapter, pronoun? Privilege. Point of personal privilege. Yes. Please do not use gendered language to, to address everyone. Okay. And is this part of the reason? Yes, part of the reason. Part of the reason is on the front end, yes. how it all gets produced, and then part of it on the back end. We're, in terms we're of growing large that. amounts of commodities that go for fuel or for feed to livestock, uh -huh. which we should lessen corn. Cattle should not, ruminants should, are not designed to eat corn. Right. But yet, I would say we shouldn't get rid of, you know, the Green New Deal says we need to get rid of cows. Yeah. I don't agree with that because yeah. well-managed grassland where you rotationally graze, uh -huh. you know, all these paddocks, uh -huh. like that system there has about eight different paddocks, uh -huh. you're actually going to use more CO2 and sequester more carbon because of the regrowth all the time. Uh -huh. And yet, you know, that's a permanent pasture. So anyway, my point is we have become so ignorant of the basic principles of biolog biology in food production that we have said we answer them all through technology instead of 
letting Mother Earth mm-hmm. and having respect. I I just don't. I don't understand how a person who lied about their ethnicity and is less Indian than me is still running for president with the Democrats. Just because she has tits. I mean, you've all said that it doesn't matter she has tits. You've all said that there is no gender. It's all fluid. But yet she still is there. Boys and girls, do you think a Republican would still be there? Anybody. Anybody think that would still be there? If you fucking lied about a ticket, the media would force you out of the race. But our tweet of the day is a Fox sound piece. I, I sound bite. I had to play it. It's a gentleman. I, I don't watch Fox once again. So you people in Berkeley and New York, don't 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 wet yourself. I I don't watch it, but I get sound bites online, and this one's just sums it up. CNN. And I would say MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, they're part of the DNC. There was Don Lamont out there. The president's racist! Both questions were basically just a pretext to call the president a racist. He gets a childish thrill from that. Um, Is that a legitimate debate question? No, I mean, honestly, look, this whole thing is a love fest. We've got Jake Tapper on there, who's a former Democrat. Hill Staffer, he worked for the Democrat, whose son married Chelsea Clinton. It's all a rub-a-dub-dub. Dana Bash was married to Jeremy Bash, who was an Obama administration official, now on MSNBC. And then, of course, there's Don Lemon. There are no hardball questions. There are no gotcha questions. There are no trap questions. They're all going to see each other at Hot Tin Roof on Martha's Vineyard. It's August, you know. They're all going on vacation together. In a couple of weeks, their kids play together. They go to school together. It's uh, it's corrupt. The system is corrupt. What can I tell you? You know perfectly well that it is. We all know perfectly well that it is. And and uh, it's not it's not really even a political debate. It's a television show. And CNN yeah. is part of the Democratic Party's apparatus. That's that. That is that. And yeah. and when you say it is this kind of loose conspiracy of of personal affiliation you're saying that because you've seen it yeah oh yeah i've seen it firsthand i still know people that work there and and i can watch and uh, and i know how to read what they're doing and and i know most of these people and they're not terrible people but they're democrats and and the team yeah. is the team it's a team effort that's if you don't know that you haven't been paying attention no truer words were ever spoken it's hard on a day like this to come up with a this is america we are in election season, and of course, they are going to use everything at their measure, the media and Democrats, to get power. They want the White House. They have the House. They have a good shot at taking the Senate. They want total power. For me, as a normal American, total power is scary for any party, um, except for Republicans. Because Republicans, invariably, when they own the White House and the House and the Senate, they don't do fucking shit. They spend too much time trying to answer, well, you're a guy that used to be a Republican or more likely David Duke said something. So they have to virtue signal and the media becomes part of the DNC and impedes their progress. With Democrats, they push through stupid shit like the Affordable Care Act. And with this crop of people, if any of these Democrats get elected and the Republicans don't hold the Senate, They're just going to do crazy shit. 
they're going to forever alter this country until we can get a Republican back in the White House. Um, and for those new to the show, I'm not a Republican. I'm an independent. But looking at the lesser of two evils right now, Republicans can't get out from under themselves to get anything done. Democrats do a lot of virtue signaling to the point, 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 point percentage of America. So we started the show with it's everybody's fault but the shooter. We played a 12-minute soundbite of them just everybody virtue signaling. And then a six-minute soundbite of just some truly evil shit from Samantha B, CNN, fucking Wallace. And you say, what could be worse? This is worse. They disparaged the speech. They disparaged him going there. They even disparaged putting flags at half-staff because... To the left, that's him making a nod to Nazis. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they... And this is America in 2019. Our next guest is not proud of a prediction he made. Five days ago, Frank Figluzzi, the former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence, wrote the following in an op-ed in the New York Times, and we quote, Instinct and experience tell me we're headed for trouble in the form of white hate violence stoked by a racially divisive president. He has chosen a re-election strategy based on appealing to the kinds of hatred, fear, and ignorance that can lead to violence. And once again tonight, we have Frank Figluzzi back on our broadcast. Frank, what were the signs and how do we know how to navigate this tomorrow and the next day? This is this starts becoming the definition of terrorism when people develop anxiety about what should be free-flowing public places. Exactly right. The definition of terrorism is conduct designed to coerce or intimidate the civilian population. And if we don't take action quickly, then that will continue to, to play out. I have a piece out just tonight in the New York Times on what sadly I think is going to happen next if we don't disrupt the chain of radicalization. What were the warning signs for me, Brian? Ironically, they weren't from my experience in domestic terrorism, but rather they were from my experience in international terrorism and radicalization to Islamic Jihad. Um, you see the same things happening now in white hate uh, groups and white supremacy groups um, where not only is the Internet facilitating the speed of radicalization, but but our leader, our, our chief executive is seen as almost a mentor and a radicalizer. And unfortunately, today we did not hear what we needed to hear from that person that these extremists and unstable people look to. 
he spoke in the in the uh, passive voice, in the collective voice. We didn't hear first person from him. We didn't hear I condemn white hate ideology. We heard the nation must condemn it. Well, the nation does condemn it, but we didn't hear what we needed to hear. So what happens is the extremists interpret what the president read off a script today as something he needed to say, something he he didn't really want to say. So the president's either getting really good advice and rejecting it, or he's getting really bad advice. And, and I'll give you an example of that. We have to understand the adversary and the threat we're dealing with. And if we don't understand how they think, we'll never understand how to counter them. So it's little things and language and messaging that matters. The president said that we will fly our flags at half-mast until August 8th. That's 8-8. Now, I'm not going to imply that he did this deliberately, but I am using it as an example of the ignorance of the adversary that's being demonstrated by the White House. The numbers 8-8 are very significant in neo-Nazi and white supremacy movement. Why? Because the letter H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And to them, the numbers 8-8 together stand for Heil Hitler. So we're going to be raising the flag back up uh, at dusk on 8-8. No one's thinking about this. No one's, no one's giving him the advice or he's rejecting the advice. So understand your adversary to counter the adversary. I know you're keeping your options open there, Frank, but as chilling as that is to hear... You're saying it is possible that someone who knows better is authoring or editing the words that show up and are read verbatim or are supposed to be read verbatim by the president. I, I'm concerned about who is writing his script and his speeches. And what would fascinate me is what he's rejecting. So it's possible that several iterations of this speech were given to him, someone with expertise. And believe me, the expertise exists in our intelligence community and our law enforcement community and our civilian population on how to counter radicalization. So they, those folks could have advised him on writing an excellent speech that would have created a, an obstacle on this path to violence that we're on. But he either chose to not take that advice or he's not even willing to solicit the advice. I've said it before on the show. I'm not a Trumper. I think his Twitter account's a fucking embarrassing. I think he says a lot of stupid shit. I agree with a lot of the things he says. I agree with his border policy, just like I agree with Obama's policy. He deported more people. He put people in cages. He tried separating people to make them stop coming. And he did it also for the reason of human trafficking, because the majority of these kids are not with their family or their kin. But you can't say with any intellectual honesty, you love America, you want what's best for America. This has nothing to do with politics. When you treat a president like this, yes, there were Americans who thought Obama wasn't born here. He used that in his campaign by not ever releasing a birth certificate. And people knew about him. He was an unknown. But they used it as a cudgel, baited everybody in, including Trump. And then, gotcha, I was. But in office, people disparaged Obama for his policies. His lack of wanting America to be exceptional. His lack of wanting America to be capitalistic. 
because he was more socialist. With Trump, nothing he can do, the media, progressives, the resistance, is good enough. And instead of keeping it on the politician, the left takes it to the people. In this podcast, if you're a red-blooded, normal American, non-person of color, you're to blame for everything. You killed those people if you own a firearm. You killed those people if you're a member of the NRA. You put people in cages because you don't want our borders to be open. You're to blame for everything. And all the while, they project it's white nationalism. It's racism in America that has gone up exponentially, but they can't prove it. There's mass shootings every 2.3 seconds because they count everything as a shooting. And they take those statistics and say it's white people, it's racism, it's right wing. When we all know it just takes one terrorist attack and boom, they count that as right wing because they're right. They're conservative. The violence in our country is not from racists. The violence in our country is from left-leaning rhetoric. It may not be every mass shooting, but it's everyday conduct that is propagated by the media, propagated by Don Lemon, trashing pastors. Since 2016, Christianity is under assault, regular Americans are under assault, gun owners under assault, Anybody who doesn't think like them is under assault, physically, harassing. They have the apparatus of the media. They have the apparatus of social media. I don't even go to Facebook anymore. I occasionally post, me and my lady went to lunch. They just don't give no fucks. They hate America and Americans. These two shooters were left-leaning. They twisted it to be right-leaning. These two shooters didn't do what they did because of what somebody said. They did it because they were fucking assholes and had mental illness. Folks, It wasn't like these shootings happened in the South. You don't hear about mass shootings in the South. They're in states with serious gun laws. El Paso has serious gun laws. I mean, folks, it's it's a fucking mess. But they continue to use it for political purposes. And when do we as normal Americans go, that's enough? The left has gone past stomping on the dead bodies to make political points. It's to a sick, ghoulish level that I I see glee 
in Quis Cuomo's face, Quis Cuomo's face, when he rolls down to a scene to live shoot. This is now the second gun shooting that you notice they didn't do for Dayton. That CNN has done a show trial and blamed you, normal Americans, for the act of one person. I could take this all as legitimate intellectual honesty if they'd done it after the guy shot up a baseball field. If they dug into the Dayton shooter's background and they excoriated the conduct of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. But they don't. They never do. It's disgusting. I had projects, but I didn't even want to do this show. I'm so sick of pointing out how fucking vile our media is. How vile Democrats are. Nothing's sacred. No day is politics free. They spend every waking moment finding a way to demean the rest of the country that doesn't think like them. And the problem is, that rest of the country is the majority of the country. Nothing the left believes in is a majority at all. Not even guns, folks. Do we need comprehensive background checks? Yes. That's the question. It's not, do we need increased background checks? That's not the question. Under HIPAA, you can't. You can't tie mental illness into the NICS check. You check for crimes, felonies, the ability to own a weapon. But even then, if the left did everything they wanted, do you think in a country that has 3 million assault weapons, I have two less than three feet away from me doing this podcast, they're going to get them all back? If a person commits a crime, do you think they're going to pass the other law and go, okay, well, that's going to stop me? Simultaneously, there was a knife attack someplace else in America. It never even made the news. They just ignored it. They just fucking ignored it. Because it's politics. And it's disgusting. It's to the point you can't even say, I pray for those people. If you say that, you're attacked. I did one tweet just to test it. It didn't make it 30 minutes of some rando fucking troll on Twitter attacked me. Now, I have NRA in my fucking bio, but I do it on purpose. I believe in the National Rifle Association. I believe we should have the right to fucking bear arms. I believe we live in a world that the older you get, unless you can whoop ass, I need to defend my house. My weapons are secure. My weapons are not around children. My weapons, other than the pistols, are never all loaded. The pistols are loaded, but they have safety switches. I don't like the new hand grip safeties that, you know, you got to squeeze to shoot. I believe in a, a safety switch. So both my Taurus 45 and my Smith and, Smith and Wesson M&P 9mm that my wife has, they both have safety switches. 
and they're loaded. That is my right as an American. But the difference in our world right now is there are a group of elitists who live in these bubbles that believe they can tell you what your rights are and what your rights aren't, simultaneously fighting for rights that aren't even being infringed for fucking little groups that they want a virtue signal for. That's their play. Tell you you're evil because you believe in your God. Ignore Islam throwing gay people off roofs. That's the world. Tell you, as a white American, you are the terrorist when Antifa is tearing shit the fuck up and people are getting beat down. Two more mega attacks this week. Didn't cover them. Tell you, you can't post negative shit on the left, but massacre Moscow Mitch is not threatening. How do you even rectify that? You know, people talk about the Civil War and all that shit. The Civil War of ideas is happening right now. And we're losing. Normal Americans are losing because we don't stand up. We don't go out to the street. We don't get on the airwaves to go, we're done with this. All of it. This is not America. We used to be a country that was tolerant of other people's ideas. We now are in a country where unless you subscribe to certain people's ideologies, you are not allowed to have an opinion. That's un-American. But there's nobody on TV saying that. Nobody's putting a mic in a normal person's mouth and going, you know, what do you think about this? They go to the same liberal people, uninformed, don't know shit about guns, and they say that's everybody. Fucking depressing. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the f- Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So since I fucked up and had it late, I'm going to shoot for a Wednesday again, but this time I'm going to do it. Um, might get one out Sunday. Depends what the better half wants to do. Um, I have two appointments, 12th and 13th, one for my son and one for me. So we'll go with the 14th of July, year of our Lord, 2019. Until then, make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend some time with your family. Enjoy the rest of your summer. God help us. Soon we'll hit fall because it's hot as hell down here. And tune in next Wednesday for another exciting episode a flyover politic podcast as always thanks for listening take care thank you for listening to flyover politic podcast please check out our facebook page at fop podcast and twitter account at fop tony reed remember it's a short ride make every day count <laughs>